Welcome. We have been waiting for you. They do not want you to be here. But where others fail, you will succeed. Forget the cell. In this space, time is endless. You are now experiencing the fourth dimension. Are you ready for what lies ahead? Your mind will transcend reality. Your consciousness will be sharpened like a sword. You will lose all connection to the outside world. And nothing will ever be the same again. You have arrived. Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to another Thursday night. What an absolute pleasure to see you all. Hello there. Look at all these people. Lindy, Jacob, Lady Fritzer, Scott of the Ryle, Jay Wink, Laurie Bird. I'm getting good at reading little avatars here. Crystal, Celeste, South Florida, Ducks Regionist. Ducks Regionist claims that Stream.me was flipping out. That's very disappointing. By the way... If you're looking for some of your favourite former Periscope personalities, I have discovered that you can find a few of them on Stream.me. So Vox Day's on Stream.me, Owen Benjamin, the comedian's on Stream.me. Similar to Periscope, but it's got an app and everything like that. Boogie Bumper is also on Stream.me, you'll be pleased to know. So check it out if you miss those people. Lucifer Sam, Tracy and AK, The General Eaton, Nova Moon... Kim Jong-un, sin-soaked. Full house. Thank you for the super hearts, by the way. Raylene. And Barbara. Bombshell Blue. Twitter won't let me share. Well, that's unfortunate. That's all right. Let's keep it on DL. You will notice um, 
I have been to the salon during the week. I've changed my complexion. I'm blue, double D, double die. No. The reason that I'm not on camera is because even though it rained all night and it kind of cooled things down, it is still way too hot in this room to have all the lights on. So I just want to prove, like, <laughs> I am here. See? Hello. But as you can see, I'm sitting in darkness. It's way too hot to have the lights on, and I couldn't handle it again. So we had to go old school. I hope you don't mind. Oh, my God. Iowa Trump says, I missed the long intro. I don't even know how that's possible. It goes for about 45 minutes, as General Eden said. So <laughs> I just tune in to hear you speak American with a funny accent. Well, <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> well, hopefully we can have a lot of fun. I've got some pretty amazing stories to bring you, pretty funny stories. We'll do a little bit of serious stuff too. But he's really an I am actually, believe it or not. <laughs> You'll never know. You'll never know. The naked boogie, indeed. Well, because I, I like to do it in the raw. I like to do it in the raw. See, I am the exact opposite of people who, uh, like, advertise clothing online. You know, like the Instagram celebrities. They just happen to be walking around. I just happen to be wearing my, you know, my Dior handbag. Or I just happen to be wearing my Calvin Klein jeans today. And it's purely by chance that I'm wearing them. But darn it, they're just so comfortable as I'm walking in front of this mirror repeatedly. It's just Texas talk. Texas Blue Philly, thanks for joining us, as always. you Straight into it. Philly, I just want you to know that other people, I don't, I don't agree. Like, I've never been a conformist. I've never been one for consensus. And although hundreds of people dislike you immensely, I just want you to know that I disagree with them. <laughs> I think you're a good guy. Hundreds of people disagree with me, but I think you're all right. So you're always welcome here. CK Baybay, Tom Chatelet. Thanks for joining us. Just before we get into our usual stuff, oh, by the way, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, please hit the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. And the lines are still open. If you want to submit something for tonight's show, head over to Twitter, follow me at boogie bumper, and you'll see the pinned tweet and just drop your link in there, your clip or your article, and we'll rock and roll with that stuff towards the end of the night. But thank you for joining us. Just before we get into the stuff that I've got, and like I said, I want to have a little bit of fun with it. I was watching a bit of Chris Mack just before I came on with Mark Taylor, you know, the prophecy, the Trump prophecy guy. And he put out a movie. I just want to let everybody know that I actually predicted Mark Taylor's movie. There you go. I call it the Mark Taylor prophecy movie prophecy. But that's how much on the level I am. And they were talking about um, like Roe v. Wade, the you know you've heard about all the abortion hula, hoo ha ha, brew ha ha, over the last few days. Virginia, New York, obviously last week, and that brings with it you know a lot of heated debate and a lot of passionate debate. And uh, a point was raised, which I thought, huh, I never thought of it like that. Um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg wherever she is. Um, you, I, think it's, I think it's safe to say that she's closer to the end of her career than she is to the beginning. 
I think that's a fair statement, right? I don't think that's conspiratorial. I wouldn't classify it as hate speech, although what isn't now these days, really, to be fair. So, and the point was made, well, Ruth Bader Ginsburg goes out, another Supreme Court justice comes in, and then while all of this abortion talk and fighting and aggression is coming to a peak, it could be the perfect time to push for, you know, a re-examination of the laws that have been in place for 20 or 30 years, right? And I thought, well, that's interesting. Um, A friend of mine actually sent this to me earlier today, and I'll just put this up for you. Not that one. We'll get to that. Um, Do you guys remember this? Light-term partial birth Well, I think it's terrible. Uh, If you go with what Hillary is saying, in the ninth month, you can take the baby and rip the baby out of the womb of the mother just prior to the birth of the baby. Because based on what she's saying and based on where she's going and where she's been, you can take the baby and rip the baby out of the womb in the ninth month on the final day. Well, that is not what happens in these cases. And using that kind of uh, scare rhetoric scare is just rhetoric. terribly unfortunate. Unfortunate where it's scare obvious rhetoric. That a woman is about to give birth. She has physical signs of that she is about to give a birth. Would that still be a point at which she could request an abortion if she was so certified? She's dilating. Uh, Mr. Chairman, that would be a, you know, a decision that the doctor, the physician, and the woman would I understand make that. that. I'm asking point. if your bill allows that. My bill would allow that, yes. Oh. <laughs> Oopsie-daisy. Is Donald Trump a time traveler? Serious question. Is Donald Trump a time traveler? Interesting stuff, isn't it? See, at the time, remember when uh, Kavanaugh was first appointed to the Supreme Court, I was actually pushing back on people who were saying, okay, now's the time, Roe v. Wade, push, 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 go, 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 go. And I was actually one of the people saying, no, no, not yet, not yet. You've got to let it simmer first. If you push too hard too soon, you're only going to add unnecessary fuel to the opposition. You're going to give them legitimate reasons to march in the street. Right? You're going to give them legitimate reasons. And they can claim the victimhood status, right? Because they'll own the debate because you're the one that's pushing it. So you just let it simmer. Now they're the one pushing it. Now you can be the counterpuncher, right? The whole dynamic of how you engage in the public space changes depending on who's the aggressor and who's the one pushing back. And so they couldn't help themselves. They couldn't wait any longer. Push, 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 go, go, go. You can count on progressives to always try to move the ball forward. It's, it's inherent in the term progressive itself. You cannot be a progressive if you sit back and say, okay, let's just leave everything the way it is. At that point, you're a conservative. (laughs) So if you don't believe in changing things constantly, constantly evolving things, constantly evolving policy, public opinions, social, political issues, then you're not a progressive. So you can count on the fact that it's going to just keep going and keep going and keep going. Beyond absurdity... Because remember, everything's relative. 
if you're in a car doing 100 miles an hour, you're going really fast, right? But the landscape next to the windows is relative to you. If you're standing on the side of the road watching the car go past at 100 miles an hour, it's gone. It's gone. So they look like, to to conservatives, they look like they're way off in the distance moving at a phenomenal rate. You can't even get, get an eye on them. They're going so fast. They're going over the cliff. But in their car, on a flat, straight road, they're just going where they have to go at the speed that they have to go. That'll be very interesting indeed. What's going to come? What's going to happen? And, you know, I was... It was only on this show last week I was talking about the New York law, saying, well, there's an upside here. Uh, If you live in New York and you don't agree, then you can move. You can leave. This is the beautiful part of the American system of competitive federalism. States have the right to pass whatever crazy, batshit, crazy laws they want. And you have a right not to be there. And this one comes from Virginia. But even putting that to one side, um, you know, I'm not somebody who generally mixes in this debate very often, but when I was listening to that woman talk, and, you know, there's something to be said about bureaucratic mindset. The greatest atrocities ever performed by governments, mass killings, genocides, are made possible through the process of bureaucracy. People following orders, right? You know, a bureaucrat bringing up a form and the form says, well, I'm sorry, um, you've checked this box, you've checked this box, I'm afraid you will have to report to the gas chambers. I'm sorry, this is just the way, there's no room for empathy here. We have the process, we have the protocol. This is the way it must be. And I'd like to raise another question. If abortion up until the point of birth becomes legal and normalised, will it then be possible at some time in the future for governments to make the call on your behalf? Like, say, in China, for example, where post-birth abortions were commonplace for a number of decades. You've already had a child? Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That second kid of yours is going to have to be dealt with. It's going to have to be dispatched. And you might say, well, that's never going to happen. To those people who say, well, that's never going to happen, I would say, well, did you think we would ever get to the place we're at now? 10 years ago? 20 years ago? Did you think what you're seeing today was, quote, never going to happen? Are you still willing to stick to that mentality? In the words of the great Bloodhound Gang, whatever happens, happens, always happens for the worst, and if the worst is yet to happen, I hope it happens to you first. So very interesting to see what comes of all this. What path will be walked. What people will say. A friend of mine who's a lefty, lovely woman, Professional, very empathetic, um, personally disagrees with abortion, devout Catholic, 
but doesn't want to impose her views on anybody else, which I guess is fair enough. So she's in favour of people making their own choices, okay? But personally finds abortion abhorrent. And I sent the, the clip of the delegate from Virginia to her about the third term, and she was practically in tears. She said, I don't understand what the hell's going on. Why are these people pushing so far for late-term abortions? I don't understand. What's the problem? To which I then sent a couple of more little tidbits through, like, say, the godmother of Planned Parenthood being Margaret Sanger, a eugenicist who once referred to black people as weeds that need to be exterminated. And some statistics from the state of New York in 2012 where 56% of black babies were aborted, equating to around 36,000 unborn children. And she was shocked. And I explained to her, you know, if, if you were a super duper racist, would you think, if you were a super racist and super rational and you had no empathy and you had that kind of bureaucratic mindset that protocol-driven mindset that so much pure evil throughout human history has been manifested. Would you think it would be ideal to, say, take care of the people that you decide are undesirables before they are potentially walking around and shooting back at you? And she said, that's a horrible thing to say. She said, I don't think it's all about racism. I said, well, I I didn't say it was all about racism, but of course you understand that Generally speaking, sometimes people with power need to present abhorrent things that the general population would never agree with in certain ways in order to make it digestible for consumption. Take cigarettes, for example. Hey, it's cool. It's sexy. It's elegant. You want this. This is going to improve your life. And what you thought of the presentation of the policy or the marketing of it matters very little when you're a 45-year-old victim of emphysema gasping for your last breath. Ironically, as they're aborting children in the bed next to you. And she conceded that point and said, well, yes, of course. And I said, well, anything's possible then, isn't it? 56% of black babies in New York in 2012 aborted. Yep, we need to abort the children so we can import more people from other countries. Makes sense to me. (laughs) Makes sense to me. We'll just keep moving the ball forward. But enough of that. Like I said, I want to have a little bit of fun. There's enough depressing stuff out there for everybody to chew on ad nauseum till their heart's content. So we will kick in. We'll have a little bit of fun. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks for sharing. Hope you stick around. Should have a laugh or two. Uh, Before we get too far down the track, let's kick it off the way we like to with this. Now you face the shredder. It's time for the shredder. This one coming to you from the Huffington Post. The soon-to-be-vacant Huffington Post. Should billionaires even exist? (laughs) Good question, comrade. 
Should billionaires even exist? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Elizabeth Warren believe some Americans have too much money and they're not alone. Yes, I imagine everybody who doesn't have money suspects that some people have too much. You know what's not cool anymore? Billionaires. (laughs) Billionaires just aren't cool. Whatever happened to Richard Branson? Wasn't he a cool billionaire? You know, the Virgin Airlines guy. Mark Zuckerberg used to be... What happened to you, Mark? Come on, Mark. You used to be cool. You used to be cool, bro. What happened to you? Should billionaires even exist? Their very existence is now the subject of political debate, sparked most recently by the tax-rich proposals from two prominent politicians. Senator Elizabeth Warren proposed placing a 2% tax on wealth over $50 million and 3% on assets over $1 billion. Rep. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says she wants to increase the marginal tax rate on those earning more than $10 million a year. Their ideas went viral, starting a mainstream conversation about inequality and wealth. They also forgot to add in there, and theft. And theft. (laughs) Government theft of money should be also part of the conversation. Funny how it isn't, isn't it? It's funny how it's just not part of it. This kind of talk has always existed among a certain group of hardcore progressives and left-leaning economists. Uh, What they mean to say there is socialists and communists. I think you'll find. (laughs) But heading into next year's presidential, we've got to wrap it a certain way. Hardcore progressive. That's something you want to be. Yes, I'm a proud hardcore progressive. I am so into equality. I don't even think billionaires should exist. Bravo. Bravo. Can you smell the progress, ladies and gentlemen? Smells like stale bread. On a cold Soviet morning. But heading into next year's presidential election, the idea that the super rich should pay their fair share (laughs) is gaining real momentum. Yeah. Rich people don't pay enough tax. I forget. I forget how much it is. But, uh, you know, isn't it like the top 1% pay an exorbitant amount of the tax receipts compared to everybody else? Somebody's going to have to define what a fair share is. Maybe it's only fair if you pay 100% tax. That Maybe that's fair. Because, again, the question is, should billionaires even exist? So if you have a billion dollars, we will tax you 100%. You will no longer be a billionaire. We will then distribute those monies. You know, everybody gets five bucks. You can go out, buy yourself a latte at Starbucks. If you're not boycotting it, that is. Marshall Steinbaum, a research director at the left-leaning Roosevelt Institute, has advocated taxing the rich at higher rates for years. Surprised it hasn't caught on yet. We do not need billionaires, <laughs> Steinbaum told Post. The economy's done better without billionaires in the past. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, back in the day when you could fill the car with gas, uh, buy a pizza... And a couple of beers at the pub, all, all for like, you know, 35 cents. I imagine there were very few billionaires back then. <laughs> the economy was doing great in the 50s. We had, we had hardly any billionaires back in the 50s. It was doing fantastic. Fantastically well. Research director, this guy. At the Roosevelt Institute. Research. For Steinbaum, higher taxes on the wealthy would mean freeing up more money for everyone else. Ah, oh, it's that simple. It's that simple. 
if <laughs> if we just take all the money off the rich people, then everybody's going to have more money. I love this stuff. This is fantastic. Of course, if we take all the money off the rich people, then the rich people are going to employ less people, which means the people at the bottom are going to have less money because they won't have jobs. But ha- never fear. Never fear. The government is here. Never fear, the government is here. Hey, you don't need a job. We'll give you the money. We'll just take it off mm, that guy. Billionaire over there. He'll be happy to pay. If you think the economy of the economy as a pie, right now billionaires are getting just about all of it, while we're all left splitting just one slice. It's terrible, isn't it? It's terrible. If you raise taxes on the riches, maybe you should grow your own food. Grow your own food, then you don't have to split the pie with everybody else. If you raise taxes on the richest, their incentive to grab at every morsel declines. <laughs> incentive to grab. I, I love the irony of this. If you raise taxes on the riches, uh, the richest, their incentive to grab at every morsel declines. Yet this article is literally advocating grabbing somebody else's money. <laughs> their incentive to grab. Well, their incentive to grab isn't as bad as my incentive to grab. The theory is they'll fight a little less hard to depress everyone else's wages if they know that every extra million is going to get taxed away. A high-paid CEO has less incentive to keep workers' wages low so he can get a bigger payday. Yes, yes, if you raise taxes on the company owners, I'm sure there's less incentive on them to save money. Right, bravo, bravo. There's less incentive on the super rich to save money and lower their expenses if you tax them higher. Ah, oh, they'll just they'll just be happy. They'll be happy. You see, because the people who can afford the magnificent, you know, state top of the line gold star accountants, well, they're just going to say that's okay. I'll just take the hit. I'm happy to do that. No, no, no. Don't come up with any kind of creative bookkeeping. Don't lay off a thousand employees. Don't move the money into offshore accounts. Don't do any of that. That look, uh, Elizabeth Warren wants my money. I'm happy to pay it. I'm happy to pay it. I mean, I didn't get rich by being creative with how I make money, right? I got rich by giving as much money as possible to the government. So let the trend continue, please. Billionaires were once a rare breed in the past few. <laughs> No shit, Sherlock. In the past few decades, as the US has slashed tax rates, their numbers have exploded, far outpacing inflation. What do you know? As the US has slashed tax rates, more people are getting rich. Wow. This is fucking horrible. We can't have this. We can't have people getting rich from slashing of taxes. No. We need to raise the taxes. We hate people getting rich. We hate prosperity. There's more people getting rich now than ever before. Raise the taxes. Put a stop to it. We can't have this. (laughs) If we raise the taxes to stop people getting rich, I'm sure there's going to be just as much incentive for people to try and create ways to get rich. Yeah. Since 2008, the number of billionaires in the world has doubled, according to a report published last week by the anti-poverty non-profit Oxfam. In just the last year, billionaires raked in an astonishing $2.5 billion each day. A lot of them in places like China and India, you'll be pleased to know. I, I guess we hate the third world now. 
It looks like we hate third world people getting rich too. I mean, when the socialists are agitators and activators on your work site in the early 1990s got up on top of a pile of bricks and said, workers of the world unite, you didn't think they were just talking about American workers, did you? The other great tragedy for these people to come to grips with is the reality that the poorest person in America is still one of the richest people in the world. Do you understand that, Elizabeth Warren, Ocasio-Cortez? The poorest person in America is still one of the richest people in the world. Undeniably. Gee, it sucks to have a lot of billionaires, doesn't it? I mean, we need less billionaires paying taxes, so let's raise the taxes on the record amounts of billionaires that we have so we have less billionaires in the future and then everybody's going to get rich. But not too rich. We want everybody to have just enough, just enough to not die in the streets. We want to have just enough. We want everybody to have just enough money so they're not killing each other for 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 their wallets, right? That's what we want, ideally. I mean, welfare is ultimately a it's a payoff. It's a bribe. It's a bribe you pay people to not commit crime. So we want to give you just enough so you're not starving to death but not enough where you become rich because then you'll become the enemy, right? Are you following me here? Are you following me? In 1982, Sam says, it's not always about raising taxes, and you know that. This article is about raising taxes. Let's keep focused. In 1982, the first year Forbes debuted its list of the 400 richest Americans. There were about a dozen billionaires. The richest man in the US back then was an 85-year-old shipping magnate with an estimated worth of $2 billion, billion, or $5.2 billion in today's dollars. You see, back in the day, there were fewer billionaires. $2 billion. <laughs> billion in 1982 is worth $5.2 billion today. I wonder why there were fewer billionaires back in 1982. Are we talking about it in today's dollars or then dollars? No, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just swip, uh, swip. We'll just swap. We'll just switch and swap how we see fit. Nowadays, Forbes' list is entirely billionaires. The richest is Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, worth $160 billion, a guy who, interestingly enough, gets a number of tax uh, benefits from the government. He pays a lot less taxes. He gets tax subsidies from the American government. People like Warren and Ocasio-Cortez and, you know, the Republicans, they're happy for Jeff Bezos not to pay much tax. Of course, rich people are, with a few exceptions, freaking out (laughs) over the idea that their taxes might go up. Just the rich people, huh? The Wall Street Journal editorial page is in full panic mode and Rush Limbaugh is trotting out the Hitler comparisons. Oh, no, we hate Hitler comparisons now. We hate Hitler comparisons. (laughs) Only the most unhinged people would use Hitler comparisons. Unhinged people like Donald Trump, who's just like Hitler. Billionaire presidential hopeful Howard Schultz, the former Starbucks CEO, is also panicked about higher taxes on the rich that he decided to abandon the Democrat Party and run as an independent. We're going to get to Howard Schultz after this. He said in an interview with CNBC. Schultz clucks in at number 280 on the Forbes list. Please, he's not even in the top 100. He can barely rub two pennies together, this guy. He has a net worth of $3.4 billion. He grew up in a public housing development. 
oh, obviously one of these greedy poor people. The fact that one of the nation's most successful men started out living in a government-supported housing is a bit of a tiny example of how taxes can help those at the bottom rise to the top. (laughs) But we just explained that the reason that we have more billionaires is because of uh, the government slashing taxes. Look at this. From one paragraph to the next. (laughs) Look at this shit. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Ah, Oh, we just read that quote. We just read that quote. Because they've slashed the taxes, we have more billionaires. Meanwhile, Howard Schultz is a billionaire now, not because of slashed taxes, but because of high taxes. (laughs) Because he used to live in the projects. I I have no idea why the Huffington Post journalists are being let go. Can you can you tell I have no idea. I don't know why. This seems like on point analysis to me. <laughs> wow. Oh. There is a raft of policies in place that help America crank out billionaires, lacks antitrust laws and regulations. So not enough regulations. Again, (laughs) not enough regulations. The lack of regulations and lower taxes is what's creating billionaires. Just Just ask Howard Schultz, who is a billionaire because of high taxes and government welfare. Bravo. Bravo. Huffington Post, ladies and gentlemen. Should billionaires even exist? Good question. Very good question. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, that was. Now you face the shredder. Let's stay on Howard Schultz. <clears throat> the curious case of Howard Schultz. Remember remember a few years ago, this guy was a hero. Remember when he came out and said he only wants to hire uh, refugees? Do you remember that? 10,000 migrants were going to get hired in Starbucks. And they're like, oh, my God, I love this guy. Woo, progress, baby. Mm. Suck it, you bigots. Remember that? Remember what a hero he was back then? Remember when he came out and said, if you're against gay marriage, you can go to some other coffee shop? And they were like, fuck yeah! Woo! Down with homophobia! Mm. The Schultz dog has spoken, motherfucker! Remember that? Remember how much they loved him? Remember that? Remember when he came out after the guys were kicked out of the Starbucks for loitering, he came out and said, America has a deep, long-seated history of racism and race problems, and we need to be on the forefront of fixing it. Everyone was like, "Woo, yeah! Suck at you, racist pigs! Uh, eat that, Donald Trump! The Schultzmeister laying the smack down, yeah! He could be president one day. He could be president one day. It's pro-gay marriage. He's anti-racism. The Schultzmeister in the White House. Uh, eat that, xenophobes. Yeah. Checkmate, bigots. He could be president, man. 
But then he came out the other day and said, mm, you know what, the Democrat health plan, it's probably unreasonable and economically unviable. And they were like, boo! Boo! Racist! <laughs> you stupid rich white man! Fuck you! And just like that, he was gone. He was excommunicated from the movement. Just like that. Don't help elect Trump, you egotistical billionaire. Schultz heckled. (laughs) (laughs) Former Starbucks. Yeah! The Schultz dog. Mm. Former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz is not getting a lot of positive feedback since indicating on Sunday that he was seriously considering a 2020 presidential run. Don't help elect Trump, you egotistical billionaire ass! a man screamed Monday night as Schultz discussed the possibility of running. The interruption came as Schultz was being interviewed during the first stop on promoting his new book, From the Ground Up, with the help of all of those taxes and regulations. Go back to getting ratioed on Twitter. Go back to Davos with the other billionaire elite who think they know how to run the world, added the heckler, who has not been identified. Getting ratioed means getting more replies than retweets in a Twitter post. Okay, news to me. Although most have not used profanity, many political figures and media pundits have echoed the heckler's sentiments. Of course, because he didn't support the ridiculous healthcare plan. So he must go. He must be dealt with. He must be done away with. Because you see, the real, the real threat here is a guy like Schultz. They're worried that there's going to be a number of Democrats who agree with like 60 or 70% of what he does, and that's going to be enough for them to not vote for the Democrat Party candidate. That's that's the problem here. Like, you need to be in lockstep with headquarters. You need to be in lockstep with the DNC. Otherwise, you're a threat. There's, it's only how far left can you go. You would, you would think the guy who's made $3.4 billion after being raised by a truck driver living in the projects rises to become the CEO of one of the world's biggest companies. You would think he would understand a thing or two about economics. You would think he would know a little bit about economics, wouldn't you? Apparently not. No, he's just a silly old white man with too much money. Should billionaires even exist? Schultz's fellow billionaire, Michael Bloomberg, warned him against running saying in a statement that the great likelihood is that an independent would just split the anti-Trump vote and end up re-electing the president. That's what it's all about. It's not about the best man for the job. What, you you, what, you thought you, this was America? You had freedom? Come on, come on. Typical typical rich guy, typical billionaire, thinking he can just run for president. Another, one, another billionaire. That's what we need in the White House, right? Am I right? Am I right? Bloomberg has explored running for president as an independent in the past and said, quote, the data was very clear and very consistent. Given the strong pull of partisanship and the realities of the electoral college system, there is no way an independent can win. He said electing Trump was a risk I refused to run in 2016 and we can't afford to run it now. New York Times columnist Michelle Goldberg wrote that if Schultz enters the race, he will be running a narcissistic spoiler campaign. <laughs> Trump appeared to try and goad Schultz, tweeting he doesn't have the guts to run for president. Well, of course he did. See what Howard's got to say for himself. Well, let's begin with what I said on national TV last night so I can frame the answer. Uh, What I said last night is that I am seriously considering 
running for president as a centrist independent. And I wanted to clarify the word independent, which I view uh, merely as a designation on the ballot. And Don't what, help elect Trump, you egotistical billionaire ass. Go back to getting ratioed on Twitter. Go back to Davos. Look at him smirking. Hey, why is he smirking like a teenage Catholic boy? Why is he doing that? <laughs> Look at him smirking in the face. Is he mocking this protester? Is he mocking this protester? Is this protester an American Indian or some other minority status individual? Can we check that? Can we double check that? I mean, this guy, never mind mocking him because he's a billionaire. He might be a racist too. You never know. He could be a Nazi. From what I understand, my uh, studying of history, my research into Nazi Germany, ladies and gentlemen, they were big fans of a cappuccino. You you barely saw a Nazi goose-stepping around without a, a warm cup of mocha gripped in the palm that was not heiling Hitler. Of this, I'm certain. With the other billionaire elite who think they know how to run the world. That's not what democracy needs. That's not what democracy needs. We're going to get to that idea and that sentiment <laughs> in just a minute uh, because there is a lot on Twitter today. If it appeared in the polls, if, if you were running and it appeared in the polls that your candidacy would help reelect Donald Trump, would you drop out before him? Let me go back to what I said earlier. Uh, nobody wants to see Donald Trump removed from office more than me. If I decide to run for president as an independent, I will believe and have the conviction and the courage to believe that I can win. I can't answer that question today, but I'm certainly not going to do anything to put Donald Trump back in the Oval Office. It's a great comment in the chat from Sam. Do William become billionaires when they have $820,000? <laughs> 82 cents in the dollar. Equality, baby. Here's, here's a problem for the Democrats, right? Um, the the influence of Ocasio-Cortez, it's not a problem for, for some Democrats. It should be a problem for, you know, the quote-unquote moderate Democrats, the blue dog types, you know, the, the more culturally traditional Democrats, say, rather than the more extreme left fringe. Here's the problem for them. The... The influence that Ocasio-Cortez wields has a flow-on effect. And that flow-on effect is other people are going to try and court her audience and court her influence. They're going to have to cover their left flank, right? So you're going to see a number of Democrats just shifting increasingly to the left in order to keep Ocasio-Cortez at bay or at least compete with her in the popularity stakes, which is going to be very difficult. And one of the best parts about being like having no power that Ocasio Cortez has, right? She has no power at all, really. She's a first-term congresswoman. She has no power, real political power. I'm talking about. She has power, like in influence and power over social media and stuff like that. But she has no real political power. The upside for her is she can just come out and say whatever and have no consequences. She can just make whatever promises she wants. It's, it's like if you were an independent in the Senate or the House, you, can, you don't have to follow party lines. You can just create headlines. 
and you can come out with the most outlandish, ridiculous policies that will never work, but it doesn't matter because you're never going to be in a position to instigate them and therefore you'll never have to deal with the consequences of your shitty policies, right? You can just put them out there and say, oh, like, this is what we need, I'm the best. And you can get cheered from the media, yay, you know. But you have no real responsibility on the policies that you propose. And that's her power. Because then that creates a media cycle where they then take these ridiculous ideas to the legitimate candidates and say, well, you know, what about this? What about this? It's very popular. Look at all the influence she has on social media. Look at how popular she is. So they have to come to her. They have to meet her. So they don't get left behind, right? Now, what's that What's that going to do? Um, unlike large sections of the corporate press have portrayed, ladies and gentlemen, the newly elected congresswomen are not the be-all and end-all of the new sitting Congress, right? There was only about five or six really, really, really hardcore socialist types. The majority of the new Democrats elected were elected in former Republican seats, which are like kind of purpley districts, and they were elected on very, very, very small margins. Very small margins. Now, in these districts, which have been Republican for a number of cycles or are purple and aren't, you know, safe, hardcore left-wing seats like the ones that Ocasio-Cortez... I mean, I think it was Rashida Tlaib or Ilan Omar ran unopposed. Like, there was no opposition in the election. That's how blue that seat is, right? So, you know, that's not an indicator. That's not a fair indication of the thoughts and opinions of the country at large. And the majority of the newly elected Democrats come from, like I said, purple districts, which were held by Republicans. So the the Democrat Party is in a quandary here. So they need to you, they need to cover their left flank with people like Ocasio Cortez, who are making all the running in the public conversation, being aided and abetted by the media, and with their power and influence on social media. But at the same time, they can't do it too much because they're going to alienate the brand new elected people in the purple districts, which only won by small margins, who are going to have a Republican right up their ass a year and a half from now. What's that going to do? That's going to create a vacuum. So if all of the candidates go to the hard left in order to cover that flank and court that vote, there's going to be a whole mass of Democrats like somewhere in the middle who all of a sudden are going to be like, hey, I'm not voting for 70% tax rates. That's insane. I'm not doing that. I'm not voting for that shit. I'm not voting for these socialist policies. That's ridiculous. Where are they going to go? This is where Howard Schultz comes in. And this is why the Democrat leadership and the corporate press are doing their best to suppress. Like, it was, it was, the hit pieces were like 100, 200 a day on Howard Schultz over the last few days. They need to nip this in the bud. They need to stop this at all costs because they need the Democrat voters to have no choice but to vote for the Democrat candidate, regardless of who it is or what they want, because it's mission remove Trump. It's not mission uh, Democrat values. It's not mission Democrat principles. It's not mission let's make a, 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 you know, a new America that's equitable and tolerant and all of that shit for everyone. That's not the mission. The mission is get Trump. That's all they care about. So they don't give a fuck about the Democrat voters who are going to be left in the middle scratching their ass wondering, well, what do I do now? The 
all I've got is like some far left socialist and a Republican. Who the hell am I supposed to vote for now? Gee, I wish somebody with some uh, Democrat, you know, tendencies, but not so far left that buses don't go there. I wish there was someone like that I could vote for. Oh, well, I guess I'll go to Starbucks and get a double mocha grand latte or whatever, right? You see what I'm saying here? That's why they need to put a stop to it. Democrats are begging Howard Schultz not to run for office. I love this story. And threatening a Starbucks boycott if he does. He doesn't even fucking work there anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, ladies and gentlemen. Do not adjust your monitor. Democrats are now threatening to boycott companies where people used to work. <laughs> Again, remember, they love they love Starbucks. Hiring all the migrants. Woo, yeah, eat that, bigot. If you're against gay marriage, don't come into my shop. Yes! Suck at you, homophobes. <laughs> Howard Schultz running for president. Boo! Nobody go to Starbucks. That's where Nazis and billionaire rich white men come from. Fuck that place. (laughs) Former Starbucks CEO has infuriated the political left. When are they not infuriated, to be fair? Come on now. Come on now. Come on now. By announcing he'll run for president as a centrist independent in 2020, Democrats are voicing loud opposition to the billionaire fiscal conservative whom they believe could spoil the future Democratic nominee's chances of beating President Donald Trump in the general election. This is a rich man's fantasy that will turn out to be nothing more than a massive in-kind contribution to Donald Trump's re-election campaign. I guess the beautiful part about all this is, uh, for all of those rich man fantasies out there, for all of the rich men who had fantasies about becoming president, Donald Trump made your dreams come true in 2016. Now all of the rich men are having this fantasy? All of the rich white men are now sitting back going, hey, if Trump can do it, I could do it too. Hey, if Donald Trump can be the president, and if Donald Trump's a white man and a billionaire, and I'm a white man and a billionaire, and he's the president, maybe I could be the president too. Yeah. That <laughs> could be the president. After, I don't know why the billionaire talks that way. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's just what came to me. Maybe I could be the president Ted. After years of pushing progressive policies, former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz, Sergeant Schultz, we'll call him, has infuriated the left. I know nothing! His crime considering running for president as an independent. After the billionaire executive announced he's exploring a run as a centrist independent, Democrats voiced loud and almost unanimous opposition to the move. I wonder why. They said Schultz would siphon off anti-Trump voters uh, that the future Democratic nominee will need. There you go. There's the key. What were we just saying? Acting as a spoiler, much like the independents Ross Perot and Ralph Nader did in 92 and 2000, respectfully. Uh, Let's go to MSNBC to see what our favourite girl, Alexandria, thinks about all this. I'm, I'm genuinely fascinated by Alexandria. I find her a fascinating study. Let's carry on. Whether or not shaking the Democratic Party, 
the AOC effect. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has been in office about three weeks, but her ideas and what she represents are having a huge impact. Consider a rookie legislator who is legally too young to run for the Senate, let alone the White House, now has potential candidates reacting to her and criticizing her economic agenda. The first thing to know about this dynamic is it's broader than partisan politics. AOC has been arguing for a tradition of moral politics, civil rights, and economic reform that goes beyond for what passes for a lot of debate in D.C. Social movements are... Yeah, you know what? This thing, like moral politics, I'm arguing for moral politics. You know my opinion on that? If you want to do moral politics, join a church. That's moral politics for you. If, if you want to do moral politics, then, you know, become, uh, start a charity or something. That's moral politics. If, if you want to be a politician, right, you can be a moral person, but moral politics is like this bullshit term that people throw out there to give a shallow excuse for their hideous ideas, which are anything but moral most of the time. That's what I found anyway. No, no, I'm doing moral politics. That's why I want to steal everybody's money. Ah, okay, okay. I'm doing moral politics. That's why I support mass immigration, which depresses the wages of the poorest people in our community and puts up the house of pricing, uh, ha- price of housing so nobody can afford it anymore. Ah, okay. Because I'm moral. You're, you're very moral, yes. Very, this is moral politics. Now, it's moral politics to, you know, suppress free speech or, uh, you know, say support like abortion into the, up until the day of birth. I'm because I'm, I'm I'm a moral person because I believe in moral politics. Fuck the facts. Who cares? But don't worry about the facts. I don't have to get the facts right. I'm a good person. <laughs> as long as I think I'm a good person, then the facts don't matter. Are the moral compass and should be the moral compass of our politics. I do think a system that allows billionaires to exist <laughs> when. <laughs> billionaires, billionaires shouldn't exist. We need to have moral politics. <laughs> Wipe out all of the billionaires. It's the moral thing to do. There are parts of Alabama where, where people are still getting ringworm because they don't have access to public health mm-hmm. is wrong. Yes. The wage gap is an injustice that persists through secrecy. It is time that we pay people what they are. Did she just say the wage gap exists through secrecy? Ladies and gentlemen, can you go on Twitter for more than five minutes and not find out about the wage gap? Can can you Can you peruse any like left-wing news website on the face of planet Earth and not see a story about the wage gap. Secret, secret, what secrecy? What the hell are you talking about? It's everywhere. Literally everywhere. Moral politics. Worth and not how little they are desperate enough to accept. He's not in the Russell building. He's not in the floor of the Senate and 800,000 people. See, this is what I like about it. Her presentation is immaculate. See, like, it's not like she hasn't spent hours in front of a mirror doing a makeup. She's passionate when she talks. You know, she's very, the way she even, the way she moves, like every, she means every word she says, right? This is the thing. It, she's not your politician that sits wooden with a pole up their ass and says, you know, do you, do you think billionaires should exist? And then they'll come back with some kind of answer. Well, you know, we take everything into consideration. And although there are, 
in some areas of the economy, there are inequalities. We are working every day with stakeholders to make sure we address the concerns of everyday citizens and doing our best to make sure that everybody is represented and no child gets left behind, blah, 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 blah. Right? And you're like, well, this person probably doesn't even believe it. But she believes every single word she says, and that she exudes that. Like, you can't, you can't help but get hit in the face with that. And I think that's a big, that's a big part of her appeal. And we've gone over this so many times. Um, genuine likability is a thing. Genuine appeal is a thing. It matters. It works. The low, the low rent presentation that like, yesterday's low rent presentation is today's genuine likability, and it means something. Wrong. The wage gap is an injustice that persists through secrecy. It is time. Like and see, it doesn't even matter if she gets things wrong. It doesn't even matter if she's not right. People like the fact that she genuinely believes it. There's a difference. See, you know, people often attack Alex Jones, for example, for saying, oh, you know, conspiracy theory, blah, blah, blah. I say to people, I trust Alex Jones. And they go, what do you mean? He's not always right. And I said, no, no, I didn't, I didn't say I trust that he gets everything right, but I trust that he genuinely believes everything that he's saying. There's a difference. You, you can't fake that raw, um, natural quality in somebody. You either, you either have it or you don't. So you can trust that person in that way. Do you see what I'm saying? I trust Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I don't trust that everything she says is correct. I trust that she genuinely believes everything that she says. Right? You following? That we pay people what they are worth and not how little they are desperate enough to accept. He's not in the Russell Building. He's not in the floor of the Senate. And 800,000 people don't have their paychecks. Everyone deserves justice and everyone deserves equal protection and prosperity. Except the billionaires. Except the billionaires. They They don't deserve equal prosperity. There should be no billionaires. Fixation only on AOC style. May underestimate her. Celeste is a poor ringwormed Alabama <laughs> policy appeal. Plenty of other top candidates like Elizabeth Warren or Kamala Harris are running on similarly progressive economic platforms. A leftward shift, which apparently explains why former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz is not a Democrat. That's according to his argument in a new round of interviews testing an independent presidential run against Democrats. No, I'm not a Democrat. I don't affiliate myself with the Democratic Party, who's so far left, who basically wants the government to take over health care, which we cannot afford, the government to give free college to everybody, and the government to give everyone a job, which basically is $40 trillion on the balance sheet of $21.5 trillion. We can't afford it. He sounds like an entirely reasonable person to me. And I think he sounds like somebody whom I would disagree with on matters like, say, cultural matters, like race relations, for example, right? Things like that. But he sounds like a very reasonable person. He doesn't sound like an egotistical, narcissistic billionaire maniac to me. And see, now that's genuine too. This is genuine as well. He's a life. He he has been a lifelong Democrat. That's. No, I'm not a Democrat. I don't affiliate myself with the Democratic Party, who's so far left, who basically wants the government to take over health care, which we cannot afford, the government to give free college to everybody, and the government. Remember, Starbucks hiring ten thousand migrants. Woo! Yes. Eat shit, xenophobes. 
If you don't agree with gay marriage, get your coffee somewhere else. Yeah! Suck that, Donald Trump, you homophobic bigot. Huh. Two black guys getting kicked out of a Starbucks. We need to reassess our race relations. Yeah! Checkmate, racists. The Democrat Party's gone too far left. Their economic projections are unreasonable and unworkable. Boo! Boo! Rich white guy. Narcissistic billionaire. I hate him. I hate. I always hated him. I always hate him. I never drank at Starbucks. Mm-mm. Nuh-uh. I always hated Starbucks. I'm to give everyone a job, which basically is $40 trillion on the balance sheet of $21.5 trillion. We can't afford it. I'm going to hear from a very rich person in a moment. Very first, rich person. A, a very rich person in ideas. Thank you. <laughs> the other thing to consider here, too, is like, why do we hate rich businessmen so much? I guess we better stick with the rich public servants. You know, the millionaire politicians like Nancy Pelosi, Maxine Waters, Bernie Sanders. What's the fucking difference? I guess one made their money market facing, right? One made their money by providing a service, whether you like that service or not, by pleasing customers, by getting the share prices up, by providing a service that people want and go back to and name recognition and understanding, you know, how much they have to charge in order for how much they have to make, how much they have to pay people, what they have to do in a marketplace in order to always have forward momentum to grow and grow and grow and grow. That's the way this guy made his money. On the other hand, the other people make their money by sitting on a chair in a government operation for the last three, four decades in some cases, collecting your money through taxes, which they want to raise, by the way, by seven, up to 70% for guys like this, collecting your money through taxes and then profiting off lobbying firms. The extracurricular activities where lobbyists take them out to lunch and say, well, if you just pass this law, we'll take care of you. And we're, here, and we're here talking about, we have to listen to people talking about moral politics. Please, please, ladies and gentlemen, please. Moral politics, eh? <laughs> Liz Plank, when, uh, host of Vox. When did serving people coffee become fucking immoral? <laughs> Wasn't Alexandria Garcia cortez working as a barista at some point? I thought she would understand. Media is considered and a friend of the beat. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I mentioned that because class is such a big mm-hmm. part of this, and yeah. we, we have a very rich person on deck. Mm-hmm. When it comes to AOC versus mm-hmm. uh, Howard Schultz as a as a potential billionaire running against Democrats, mm-hmm. what is important do you think about the idea she's she's advanced? Right. Well, I think first of all, Howard Schultz running for president is kind of like Ja Rule organizing another music festival. Like I don't know who <laughs> need, no one needs this right now. Um, it's only <laughs> going to actually benefit Donald Trump because uh, obviously. Um, it, when we have a third-party candidate, it it often... No one needs this right now, says the privileged white woman on television. <laughs> Nobody needs this. I know because I'm a privileged white woman on TV who makes a lot of money by saying things. Yep. Oh, don't, don't you hate it when that privileged pit bull comes back to bite you in the ass, darling? And disadvantages Democrats. Let me say that's a sick burn because okay. the Fry Festival was a failure. Sick bird, bro. Although Howard Schultz, <laughs> I would trust to run a. That is a sick bird. What is this guy? Fifteen. <laughs> that one nearly snuck through. <laughs> sick burn, bro. 
Checkmate, bigots. <laughs> Sick burn. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I give you current day political analysis. I, I have no idea why people are losing their jobs at BuzzFeed and HuffPo. Breaking. Sick burn on Howard Schultz. A conference mm-hmm. or a gathering more oh, than yeah, the country. He should, he should organize the next the, fire festival. You, I would trust. This week on the Huffington Post, somebody does a sick burn. Twitter agrees. You've hit on it. There we go. We found your <laughs> calling. Um, but one of the really interesting things that I think him and, and, and AOC sort of, I mean, they haven't talked to each other in real life, but this sort of standoff that they have is that AOC is exposing the myth of the fiscal conservative, but the socially liberal mm, right. person, right? So, you know, Howard Schultz says that he is pro, you know, he's uh, taking a stance against racism. He's taken a stance for offering jobs to refugees. He's pro-women, pro-reproductive rights. But he has these very fiscally conservative uh, policies. And what AOC has been able to do is message how those two things are actually completely contradictory. Yes. You have to be a full socialist. Otherwise, you don't really mean it. You you can't be in favour of treating people with empathy. You can't be in favour of tolerance. You can't be pro-refugee. You can't be in favour of any of these things unless you're a full-blown socialist. If you believe in treating people fairly and tolerant and progressive and all of that stuff, but at the same time understand economic realities like $40 trillion of expenses doesn't work when you only make $20 trillion, then you're just another fascist, bro. Sorry, sick burn. Sick burn, motherfucker. See what I did there? That's, a, that's what we call a sick burn in the industry. The burn was sick. If you believe that black people and people of color in this country should have equal rights, you have to be supporting them having equal access to health care. You have to be a socialist. Woo! I like this. I like this. So it's, uh, and she's actually, this idiot's saying it's a good thing. If you believe in, you know, equal rights among people of different races, then you have to believe in mass wealth redistribution too. Yep, yep. Is this is this the way uh, that Democrats want their party to go? Is this the fight that they want to have, really? Says, once again, the privileged white woman on TV, speaking on behalf of people of colour, I might add. Sick burn jobs to opportunities. Same goes with people with disabilities. You can't go on TV and say, we want to take over, take off their entitlements. You have to support those benefits. Ah, yes, but you can go on TV and say, uh, you know, if you support people of colour, then you have to be a socialist. You can do that. You can do that. Interesting to hear you analyze that after watching her talk in the arc of moral politics, right? Yes. Because Martin Luther King is remembered for civil rights, and yet, yes, or- yeah, she's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. people who understand Murray, uh, money are fundamentally immoral. Did you know that? <laughs> Organizing he was doing was all about black power and black economic capital and mm-hmm. uniting with labor and mm-hmm. organizing union walkouts in the mm-hmm. Midwest. Mm-hmm. All of that. Uh, I want to. Show for you some of the praise AOC is getting today. L- listen to this. MAGA fans saying they, she's affected. A prominent political advisor says yep. she has something that you can't coach. You either have it or you don't. She has it big league. And then this. Gameness, grit, determination, fighting spirit. Compliments from none other than Steve Bannon. Oh, no. No, no. Oh, no. Now I'm in the same column as Steve Bannon. Guess, guess I'm a white supremacist now. Uh-oh. Sick burn. Bannon for AOC today. 
I think she is smirking. As a centrist Oh, we started hearing. No, you're no, Okay. Wow, that wasn't just in my head. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, well, one of the things that AOC is so good at is is that she's really good at messaging the, the, the Democratic Party's position on many issues. Of course, she's more to the left than what we would expect. But she's she's really good at messaging ideas that are actually popular, right? So right. if you think about taxation and the proposal that she's making, first of all, when it comes to you know taxing very highly rich people and and the seventy percent. Um, yeah, seventy percent taxes is very popular until the rich people start raising their prices on people like you, and then you'll say, guess what? It's all capitalism's fault. (laughs) The problem isn't the 70% taxes we put on the rich people. The problem is the rich people. The rich people are just too greedy, so they're raising their prices on people like us, and we're paying the 70% tax. It's not the fault of the 70% tax. It's capitalism's fault. Of course, we all know that. By the way, uh, if you support people of colour having equal rights, then you can't be a capitalist. Starbucks CEO, this is back in 2014, by the way. This is when they liked him. Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz sounds off on racism in America. Let's have a look. CEO Howard Schultz is one of the more vocal business leaders in the country with comments on everything from Obamacare to gun control. We do believe that guns and weapons should not be part of the Starbucks experience. And now, Schultz has penned an open letter on racial tensions in America, published exclusively by Time. Protests have raged nationwide since grand juries in Ferguson, Missouri, and Staten Island, New York, decided not to indict the officers who killed Michael Brown and Eric Garner. On December 10th, just a week after the Garner decision was released, Schultz called an open forum in the Starbucks Support Center in Seattle. He writes about the forum, We cannot continue to come to work every day aware of the difficult and painful experiences facing our nation and not acknowledge them together as a company. People spoke... Woo! Yeah! Schultzmeister! Shining a light on the racists. Yeah! You know, we love... We love billionaires with a social conscience. You know, Ari... I know you like to deliver a sick burn from time to time, but let's talk about race in America. And, you know, one of the shining lights of our corporate world is a guy named Howard Schultz. He reaches out to the African-American community, to peoples of color. He wants a fair and equitable system for all, and he's prepared to go through with it. He's prepared to put his, his neck on the line. He's prepared to stand up and call out the racism in our society. He is truly a marvel. He is truly Amer- an American treasure. You know, he said uh, the health care plan was unreasonable and economically unviable, right? What? Did he really say that? Yeah, yeah, he did. Boo! Boo! I fucking hate this guy. I hate him. I've always hated him. You know, it's not just, just because he comes out and says some nice things about black people sometimes doesn't mean he's a moral person. I mean, you can't say nice things about black people and still be a capitalist. Who is this pig? Who does he think he is? Don't you dare run. Don't you dare run for president. You're only going to help elect Donald Trump, you egotistical billionaire asshole. Fuck this guy. I always hated him. (laughs) He's everything that's wrong with America. 
with grace and emotion. The forum was at times uncomfortable, yet overall it was enlightening. Schultz says he plans to have more forums like this all over the country in the coming months, starting in January with Oakland, St. Louis, and New York City. He closes the letter saying, Doing what is right for society and doing what is right for business cannot be mutually exclusive endeavors. While it is always safer to stand on the sidelines, that is not leadership. Today we choose to act in a way that is authentic to us by nurturing a sense of community uh, and bringing people together. Yep. Sounds like a typical egotistical billionaire asshole to me, ladies and gentlemen, this week. This week. What a shame. If only he supported uh, healthcare plans that have no rational way of ever working ever in a million years, then he would be the perfect candidate. What a, what a shame he has a brain. So unfortunate. Can we stick with racism for a little bit? Let's stick with racism. I want to take you down under. Uh, Australia Day, <clears throat> 26th of January every year. It marks the landing of the first fleet in Sydney Cove. And this has you know, been a contentious issue for a few years now where people who say celebrating Australia Day, yes, Unity Day for fans of the starting block, all 10 of you, uh, people say Australia Day, you know, it's celebrating racism and genocide and oppression of the Indigenous people. They call it Invasion Day, right? So there's this little TV show, kind of like The View, but not really, Studio 10. I mean, it's got a bunch of women um, heckling at each other. And this little, this little brouhaha went down. See what you think of this. Who um, uh, went through the streets making their point known. Has any single one of those 5,000 people waving the flags saying how inappropriate the day is, has any one of them been out to the outback where children, babies, five-year-olds are being raped, their mothers are being raped, their sisters are being raped, they get no education what have you done? I'm sure it, that is not even faintly true, Kerry, and you're sounding quite racist right now. Oh. oh. <laughs> the sad part here for Yumi, that's the girl with the glasses there, Yumi Steins. The sad part is um, it very much is true. And there are, you know, government reports that come out about the level of, you know, child abuse, sexual abuse, alcohol abuse, drug abuse in far-flung Indigenous communities. And it's not a good thing. Nobody likes it, uh, but it's 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 true. And here's here's something for you. Uh, Brooke Boney was praised while Kelly uh, Kerry Ann Kennelly, that's the one you just saw speaking there, was called racist. What's the difference? Brooke Boney was celebrated for lo- for linking Australia Day and social issues in Indigenous communities. They're now calling Kerry Ann Kennelly. They used to just call her Kerry Ann. Now they call her K A K. I'm sh- I'm sure that's just a coincidence. No Trump, no K-A-K, was called a racist. Why are the two different? Let's see what's good here. Has any single one of those 5,000 people waving the flags saying how inappropriate the day is, has any one of them been out to the outback? Well, keep going then, because every time you open your mouth, you're sounding racist. <laughs> you're sounding racist. When Brooke Boney spoke about incarceration rates, domestic violence and child sexual abuse in Indigenous communities 13 days ago, the Today Star was applauded for bringing attention to the issues on mainstream television. 
But when Studio 10 co-host Kerri-Ann Kennelly made a link between calls to change Australia Day and Indigenous social issues earlier this week, she was labelled a racist. It's a comparison that's been picked up by some social media users and talkback radio callers in the wake of the controversy surrounding the Network 10 morning show this week. But I guess what what do you think might be the difference here between uh, an Indigenous activist and this woman saying essentially the same thing? What would what 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 <clears throat> what characteristics do you think might be different? Would it be the temperature in the studio at the time? Could it be the makeup? Could it be the dress that she's wearing? Could it be the channel that she's on that makes these two things significantly different? Why one person who's an activist would be celebrated for talking about these statistics and the other person be called a racist? Can you can you identify what it is? I don't know. Is it the car that they drive? Is it where they live? I don't know. I don't know. A whole host of variables might be at play here that make these two things different. I can't put my finger on it. I have no idea. <laughs> but Indigenous activists say there's a good reason for the back- backlash to Kennelly's comments, and they've dismissed comparisons between her approach and that taken by Boney. Quote, the difference was they were both completely different approaches and perspectives. Ah. Brooke was talking about her real lived experience of being an Indigenous woman. Kerry Ann wasn't speaking empathetically. It was toxic and aggressive and stereotypical. Ah, ah, I see. I see. Statistics mentioned by Indigenous activist. Good. Same statistics mentioned by old blonde lady. Racist. You see how it works? Do you see how it works here, ladies and gentlemen? Yep. That's that's something we need to get over, I think. <clears throat> if if you can't let if you can't let the um the information speak for itself, then you've got serious problems. See, some people have this idea that information can be wrong depending on who's saying it, rather than what the information is. I think that's an issue. Of course. Um, somebody, you are free to tell me that what I'm saying now is wrong because of who I am, which is a nobody. I mean, I'm not even a billionaire. Boo! Fuck Starbucks! Lattes and dreams. Kerry and Kenley and Yumi Steins had a bit of a blue this morning. Uh, uh, Have a on, bit of a blue? Uh, on another network. Uh, uh, it was about Australia Day and... Uh, this is what uh, went down. Interested in your thoughts, uh, Rita, on this. Uh, uh, let's, let's have a listen to the exchange. What about the 5,000 people who um, uh, went through the streets making their point known? Has any single Dawn one Johns of those 5,000 people waving the flags... I see Vicious in the chat. You're fucked too. Has any one of them been out to the any, outback? Any blonde women in the chat, you need to stop using facts immediately. You, priv- you privileged racist assholes. You... <laughs> I, I feel oppressed by you being here. <laughs> I was going to say a joke. I was going to say a joke. Uh, the blonde women, I feel oppressed by you being here. I would like to be oppressed up against you. Bang! Sick burn! Sick burn! <laughs> Where children, babies, five-year-olds are being raped, their mothers are being raped, their sisters are being raped, they get no education what have you done? I'm sure it, that is not even faintly true, Kerry, and you're sounding quite racist right now. Oh, I'm offended oh, by oh, that, Yumi. Well, keep going then, because every time you open your mouth, you're sounding racist. I am oh. seriously offended by that, Yumi. Okay. 
Okay. Look, I think I seriously think offended. To to tell me, okay, my question was, how many of those people have gone out? I bet a have, lot of them have. Uh, have uh, well, I'd like to know. Do you know? Do you have any proof? And they're walking through the streets. And, and has the, the any implication is carrying that women are. <laughs> That's the problem when being oppressed up against uh, numerous blonde ladies, you may wake up in the morning with a sick burn, but just put a little ointment on it, it'll be fine. Are being raped here and, in big cities. And don't tell anyone about it. I'm talking about and the children are being raped here in big as, cities. As what Joe just said, what Joe just said was uh, the, uh, the report that came out when these people need desperately help. It is most of the Aboriginal elder women who are just desperate for help and they're not getting it. Where are these people on one day of the year want to make... You'd be better off actually doing something positive. Rita, uh, fiery stuff, your thoughts? Um, If you're not aware, the woman on the left is Rita Panahi. She's an Iranian refugee who's a conservative and writes for a conservative newspaper. And if you don't follow her on Twitter, you should follow her on Twitter. She's been on Dave Rubin's show before, and she just she swings that polemical sword like there's no tomorrow. The lefties hate her. Oh, I had to roll my <laughs> eyes there. It's just such a predictable, lazy response, isn't it, to just label discussion that you don't like and the raising of really important, significant issues as Sick racism. Burn. You just throw that slur out, and that's normally enough to shut people up because no one wants to be labelled with that ugly allegation. So they stop discussing it. And this is something um, Indigenous scholar Dr Anthony Dillon has uh, written about and talked about. He says these Australia, anti-Australia Day activists, they refuse to tackle the really important issues like the rates of abuse, the, uh, the joblessness, homelessness, the, all, the, all the issues that we know about. The fact that Indigenous women are 35 times more likely to end up in hospital due to domestic violence. 35 times more likely? 35 times? Hang on a minute. What were we saying here? Thousand people who um, uh, went through the streets making their point known. Has any times. single one of those 5,000 right. people waving a flag racist. saying how inappropriate the day is? Has any one of them been out to the outback where children, babies, five-year-olds are being raped, their mothers are being raped, their sisters are being raped, they get no education what have you done? I'm sure it, that is not even faintly true, Kerry, and you're sounding quite racist right now. Ah. Yuri, <laughs> Yuri. Oh, dear. Dear, oh, dear. You're sounding quite racist right now. Oh, okay. Quite racist. What ended up happening from this is uh, Yumi Steins came out and said that she felt like she was being bullied with this talk about statistics and whatnot. And, you know, this racist rhetoric on the show, she felt like she was being bullied and she didn't come to work the next day. She refused to go back on the show the next day, believe it or not. Than other Australian women, a shameful statistic. But if you want to uh, raise those issues, the activists will attack you. If you're within the Aboriginal community, he said they call you a sellout. And if you're outside the Aboriginal community, they label you a racist. And sadly... That's enough to silence a lot of people. So I applaud Kerry Ann for caring enough to put herself in the firing line and and to raise an issue that should be talked about. We should be talking about it all the time. And yet the activists obsess about Australia Day, about changing a date. Um, they don't want to talk about the rates of abuse. They don't want to talk about the rates of neglect. The really 
uh, we've done this the last few shows. Let me show you. Um, let me show you something very Australian here. I think I've played it once before, but while we're at it. Let me see if I can find this here. Okay, here we go. You'll love this. This was on Australia Day two years ago. Some people constructed this, and this is obviously very racist. This needs to come to a a shuddering halt. We must put a stop to this kind of behaviour. It sounds very racist to me. Look at this. I love being an Australian. Look at these lads. Look what they're doing. What geniuses. What absolute geniuses. (laughs) This is so racist. Kids having fun, you've got cold beers, you've got girls in bikinis, it's awful. should be one here where it's like the best dismount. Look at this guy wearing the Australian flag as a cover. Look at this dismount that he does. It's got some speed there. Don't go in there. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Grabs the beer. Doesn't spill a drop. Ladies and gentlemen. That's Australia. <laughs> right there. <laughs> you want to see it again? I'll show you again. One more time. Don't go in there. Perfect dismount. <laughs> and the strut afterwards. The strut makes it. Just walks on so casual like it ain't a thing. It ain't no thing. All right, let's move on. Do you remember this story? All right, we have another major story for you. A self-described sex coach in Belarus who claimed to have had insider knowledge <laughs> about President Trump's tries to Russian interference. She's speaking exclusively to CNN. Oh, lucky CNN. Russian agents tried to silence her. CNN's Matthew Chance live in Moscow this morning with this CNN exclusive. Matthew, what have you learned? Well, quite a lot, John. I mean, it's extraordinary the ordeal that this woman, uh, Anastasia uh, Veshekevich, has gone through. She calls herself Nastia. 
Other one. <laughs> she calls herself what? Ribka on nasty Ribka. Bitch <laughs> has gone through. She calls herself Nastia Ribka on social media. And that's how many of our viewers know her her better. She's been eleven months in a Thai jail in appalling conditions, according to to her account. And so, and she was arrested, of course, and manhandled into a wheelchair and taken off to prison here in Moscow. And she landed here to a wheelchair uh, earlier this month, having been into a wheelchair. She she must be a very good coach. She couldn't even walk the next day. Released from that Thai jail. Uh, she was understandably, having been through that, reluctant to fill in our gaps of knowledge about what she actually knows. But she was remarkably frank about the warnings that she'd been given. Take a listen. Dr. Agent says, says, how come CNN gets all the hookers? i give you all the missing puzzle pieces, videos and audio regarding the connections of our respective... To my understanding, she's not a hooker. She's a sex coach. So she would get people on the beach and then teach them how to have sex. I don't think she had sex with them, but she would teach them how to have sex with each other, presumably. Lawmakers with Trump, Manafort and the rest. Why did you say that? After that, I was almost one year in the prison. For me, really enough. Looks like she got straight out of prison and went straight to the collagen injection clinic, doesn't it? I understand mostly of your question. Look at those yes, lips. About Alec Dripaska, about connection of America and something like that, but I cannot answer. You should understand me because uh, I really was in very bad condition all that year. I don't want more. And uh, in Russia, I get same and... I don't want, don't want to compare what's better, Thai prison or Russian prison. <laughs> Have you been told that if you keep quiet, if you don't say anything else about those meetings? About- <laughs> General Eaton, sex coach, one foot away. Yeah, you can do it. Pump, feel the burn. Feel the burn. No, if you feel the burn, you're doing it wrong. Sick burn. Put some cream on that shit. Like Deripaska, who we met that you, you're going to be free. I have some talk when I was in jail, in Russian jail. Yeah. And uh, jail. they explained me very, uh, very clear what should I do, what should I say, and what should I, shouldn't I say. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Who explained that to you? Uh, Russian, Russian agents. Mm-hmm. What did they say to you? Uh, they said to me, uh, don't touch Alek Dripaska anymore. Oh, this proves... This proves that Donald Trump is working for the Russians, obviously, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Well, I, well, I asked her whether she regrets. She was she was um, photographed on a boat with Oleg Deripaska. Believe it or not, it's sort of being out in the public li- limelight and making these claims in the first place. Just a coach. She said, Just a coach. Not the media attention that she's gained through sort of making these claims about what she knew. <laughs> the media attention she gained is because while she was arrested, she went live to Instagram. You'll remember from the back of a police car saying, "Donald Trump, get me out of prison." Like, America, get me out of prison. I have information about Russia and Donald Trump. You need to get me out of prison. That went far because the CNNs and the MSNBCs of the world pick it up, picked it up and ran with it. Like, oh, this is it. This is over for Donald Trump. We found a sex coach working in Thailand who knows all the secrets. Yep. They couldn't wait to splash that on the front page of the New York Times. I saw it. I read the fucking article. <laughs> that's that's why that's why she's got attention on her because she got arrested in Thailand and then went live and said that she can bring down Donald Trump if only America gets her out of prison. Like who, who would have thunk it? About collusion, she says 
may have saved her life, given the, uh, the very brutal environment in Russia. And of course, people who are thorns in the aside of the authorities, like uh, Nastia Ribka, can often meet sticky ends uh, in this country. Oh, don't say, don't say to a, a sex coach can meet a sticky end. Oh, boom. Did you see that sick burn there? A sex coach meets a sticky end? Say it ain't so. If you're doing it right, the sex coach should meet a sticky end. Sick burn. That's going to be the word. That's the drinking word of the night. Sick burn. Uh, here's another short one that I thought was pretty funny. The sinkhole revealing a secret tunnel headed for a bank in Florida. Here's ABC's Victor Akendo. Tonight, an elaborate bank heist thwarted. This was definitely from straight out of a movie. When police came to investigate <laughs> this, this possible sinkhole in Pembroke Pines, Florida, they spotted a power cord inside. And nearby, they found the entrance to a tunnel leading right towards this Chase Bank. I would say it's a tinted burglary of a bank. Sticky They're heading burn. towards uh, the ATM. I, I don't think they were doing that uh, for any other reason. The <laughs> FBI and local authorities using a robot and canine units to sweep the narrow tunnel, which stretches about 50 yards, just two to four feet wide. Inside, boots, like some a ladder, movie shit. a wagon, digging tools, and a small generator. Investigators think it took more than one person to build this tunnel, and tonight... They're asking the public to help find them. We don't know who... I wonder if it was a Mexican. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. That was too easy. Building tunnels, are they? Building tunnels, you say? Hmm? Building tunnels. Must be a Mexican. Must be an illegal immigrant. Apparently, that's what we've been told, that they just build tunnels everywhere to get under walls. Who else could it be? Police are looking for an undocumented migrant for the first time in fucking history. Who's behind this at this time? They could have been here a week ago, last night. We don't know at this time. David, the tunnel never breached the bank wall. The FBI is still on ah, digging up that... Walls work! Yeah! <laughs> the tunnel didn't breach the wall? What? What? What are you telling me here? You're saying that the wall worked. Are you saying that the wall kept the guys out of the tunnel? No. Surely not. Surely not. This couldn't be true. This couldn't be true. If it is true, it shouldn't be true, because that would be racist. That would be incredibly racist. (laughs) Uh, Wow. A tunnel looking for any clues that could lead to the people who tried to pull this off. David. All right, Victor Akendo, thanks. Ah, just put some drones up, bro. You'll catch them. You don't need walls. Just put the banks. The banks should just be sitting there with all of the money on pallets and no walls and just have drones flying around. Drones with cameras. That'll do the job. What do walls need banks for? Like, if you, if you have a wall with, if you have a bank with a wall, they'll just build a tunnel under it anyway. Why bother? What a waste of money. What's the point? Let's just put all the money on a big on a big concrete slab and have some drones flying around. I think that'll work far better. Instead of this first Bank of America's vanity wall, their obsession with walls. Look, they're building tunnels anyway. Tunnels walls don't work. Man interrogated for police by for liking a transphobic tweet. He didn't tweet it, he liked it. Yep. See, this is a problem because I often like things that I disagree with. 
I might like the fact that somebody's trolling or it makes me laugh or I like it because it's so stupid. I'm like, yeah, that's fucking dumb. I like that. You know what I mean? See, this should be easily sought out because a like button is not an I agree with it button. You can like things that you don't agree with. Who who said pressing the like button on Twitter was an endorsement? These people are sick in the head. A man, a man said he was questioned by police for over 30 minutes after he liked a tweet that appears to mock the transgender community. <clears throat> Harry Miller, who believes trans women are not women, says the formal probe by Humberside Police was into his thinking and his reasons for liking the limerick on Twitter. You guys know what a limerick is, right? There once was a man from Nantucket. The limerick ref- refers to trans... I guess there once was a person from Nantucket whose dick was so long they could also be a woman. The limerick referred to trans women as stupid and made comments about vaginas and synthetic hormones. Mr. Miller, who used to be a policeman, so he he used to be a copper, says an officer told him he was investigating reports of a hate crime. A hate crime. (laughs) God. Cops said he was in possession of 30 tweets by me, like like it's drugs. Like it could be 30, 30 kilos of coke at this point. 30 tweets. Hey, man, hey, hey, I've got the good stuff right here. I got the good stuff. I got 30 tweets, my man. What you like? You like transphobia? You like a little bit of Islam hate? I got the good shit right here, bro. You come down. You come down this alley. I give you my tweets, man. I got 30 keys of tweets, brother. You want party? Hey, hey, hey. Hey, you like to party on Twitter? You like them you like them homophobic tweets, man? Yeah, I got your shit right here, bro. Got your shit right here. Islamophobia. Islamophobic tweet. It's funny when I was in Amsterdam, you walk around and you just see these shady looking guys standing on corners, but they'll stand at the doors of the like the cafes that just sell marijuana. And they'll stand there and just like in like really under their breath and they just say shit like you'll walk past and they just look at you and say shit like cocaine. I'm like, what? And he goes, party? And I'm like, nah, I just came from one. And he goes, cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> I got this shit right here. I got your tweets right here. This is in the UK. I asked if any contained any criminal material. He said no. I asked if any came close to being criminal material, and he read me a limerick. Honestly, honestly, a limerick. A cop read me a limerick over the phone. After telling the cops that he did not write the, uh, the limerick, he reportedly said, ah, but you liked it and promoted it. He concluded, it's not a crime, but it will be recorded as a hate incident. <laughs> God, my God. What is wrong with these people? Okay, we're going to let you off with a warning for liking that tweet. Like, sometimes you have to step back. Like I was saying in the beginning about the abortion stuff, right? You know, like, if we um, get to the point where we legalize abortion up to the point of birth and normalize it, do you think in the future governments can make the decision for you? Like they did in China with post-birth abortions of Chinese people when they were on their second kid. Like, sorry, sorry you had to have a second kid. We're going to have to... Do away with that. Government policy, ladies and gentlemen, bureaucratically followed to the point, down to a T, process. You can't argue with the bureaucrats, as you know. 
and people say to me, oh, that's ridiculous, that's never going to happen. To them, I say, well, 10 years ago, you would have been saying uh, abortion up until the point of birth was never going to happen, and now it's going to happen. And, you know, sometimes you have to sit back. <laughs> Liking a tweet on Twitter is now reported by the police as a hate incident. A hate incident. You know, two years ago, people would have been saying, that's never going to happen. That's never going to happen. I, there, We really need to get out of this cycle of thinking because there's nothing that the tyrants of our world want more than for us to be sitting here with every crazy idea that's floated out there for potential in the future. There's nothing they like more than us sitting back here all cool and casual smoking a cigar going, nah, it's never going to happen. That's never going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, it's like you can picture the dinosaurs and there was a Tyrannosaurus Rex, a couple of T-Rexes standing around looking for something to eat. And, you know, another one comes up and says, hey, did you hear? There's a, there's a, there's a comet on the way. There's an asteroid that's about to crash into the Earth. It's going to wipe us all out. That's never going to happen. Don't be ridiculous. We're going to rule Earth forever, my man. Sick burn. Sick burn, Rex. You got him. Sick burn. That's never going to happen. He said, the cop told me that he needed to speak with me because even though I'd committed no crime whatsoever, he needed to, and I quote, check my thinking. He needed to check himself before he wrecked himself. Seriously, honestly. Finally, he lectured me. He said, sometimes a woman's brain grows a man's body in the womb, and that is what transgender is. Why are cops giving, uh, you know, physiological lectures over the phone to people who like tweets about trans?" gender stuff what the why the fuck is that happening why the hell is that happening like i said sometimes you have to stand back and look at things and go really really this is where we're at now cops are giving you know lectures about gender over the phone to people because they like something on twitter Lastly, he told me that I needed to watch my words more carefully or I was at risk of being sacked by the company I work for for hate speech. But they weren't even his words. He didn't even write the tweet. Somebody else wrote it. He liked it. He clicked the like button. He did not click the I agree with it button. He clicked a like button. (laughs) Scary stuff. Oh, this one. I was looking at this one before. This is fantastic. Homophobia is being fueled by gender equality. (laughs) Study claims. There's a study for everything these days. Macho men are using homophobia to compensate for being feminized. Psychologists have claimed. Oh, so we were admitting then that men are being feminized, right? Is that? No, 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 no. No, the feminization of men is a myth. But macho men are now becoming homophobic because they're being feminized. Research has shown that some men feel their masculinity is under threat as society becomes more equal. Ah. (laughs) More equal. (laughs) The way that society needs to become more equal is to make men more feminine. In past decades, the role of a man in a family dynamic was to be self-assured, independent, and above all, masculine. Oh, okay. While in comparison, women were expected to be sensitive and attentive and were obliged to prioritize the family at the expense of her career. 
However, as women have gained more equality, some men feel their masculinity is being undermined and combat this by rejecting homosexuality, a study has claimed. I think the, the, the great tragedy of all of this, just say it all flipped. Just say it all flipped tomorrow. Just say tomorrow, every single man on earth said, you know what? I want to be a stay-at-home dad. I'm going to put family first. I want to raise the kids. Honey, you go to work. You fucking do the overtime. You need to bring in the fucking overtime because this family depends on you. You're the breadwinner here. Then I, I guarantee you, all of the feminists will be turning around going, that's not fair. That's not fair. A women's place is in the home. Men, men, men are thinking that they can do the job that women have done for you know, 500,000 years. How dare they? Typical masculinity trying to always prove themselves, trying to outdo women. You can't replace women, men. You disgusting misogynists. I'm telling you. Professor Juan Falamir, who led the study, said, The more we even up the genders, the more difficult it becomes for traditional men to manage this equality and to continue to construct their masculinity. As they can't differentiate themselves from women anymore. Oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> That's our fault. That's the man's fault. Yeah, it's, it's traditional men's fault that they can no longer differentiate themselves from women. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with education. It's got nothing to do with the media. It's got nothing to do with people saying that if you say somebody is a man, then you are guilty of a fucking hate crime on Twitter. Right? It's got nothing to do with that. It's, it's actually, in some places like California, it's actually illegal to differentiate men from women. It's illegal. Oh, traditional men can no longer differentiate themselves from women because we passed a law. Because we passed a fucking law, that's why. Checkmate, bigots. As they can't differentiate themselves from women anymore, they see homophobia as a way of restoring their manhood. Who comes up with this shit? (laughs) It's like, I could just picture all of the really manly men sitting around, you know, like hairy chest, wearing a singlet and shorts, drinking a beer, and they're sitting there going, you know what, Billy Bob, we come to a problem. I can no longer tell myself from my girlfriend. I can no longer know the difference between us, a man, and dams, a woman. You know what? Let's go out and beat the shit out of a gay guy. Yeah! Yeah, I'm a man again. That's the way we're going to do. We're going to go out there and attack all the homophobes. Wait, all the homo homos. We're going to attack the homos because the men's and the women's, they're too alike. So we're going to be man again. Going to be a man. Real man. Yeah. This is what people believe. People believe these conversations are happening. People believe this is a phenomenon that needs to come to, <laughs> to, come to an end. <laughs> Groups of heterosexual men were asked questions about their attitudes to the feminization of men and about gay rights and behavior. The study split participants into three groups. One was given no information beforehand. The second was told how masculine men still were. And the third, that men today have never been more feminine. They then had to state if they agreed or disagreed with statements relating to avoiding femininity, restricting emotions, self-confidence, aggression, domination, attraction to sexual activity, and homophobia. Yes, I'm not attracted to a penis. Therefore, I am questioning my manhood. Therefore, I hate gay people. Study in the bank. Book it. It's in the bank. 
See, so much of this stuff, I think, comes down to the way language is used. Like, even in these studies, you know, the, the way that they'll construct the questions in these studies, they're very loaded and they lead to certain... They lead to the outcomes that the people who want the study or commission the study want to have. You know, they need traditional masculinity to be inherently homophobic and inherently sexist. When, you know... I'm a man, I'm a straight man, and I always thought that men and women are not at war with each other. And they are equal, but they're not the same. There's a difference. It's an equal partnership. Like, together we are the species. Like, the the, the, the traditional male characteristics complement the traditional female characteristics. It doesn't mean that one's good and one's bad. One might be better at something, whereas another one is a better at another. And it's, it's when man and woman comes together that magic happens. That's where the species thrives. That's where, you know, that's where the best understanding of human beings comes from is when, where men and women join together. And this ridiculous pseudoscience of constantly trying to pit people against each other. And, and because then they sit back and say, well, it's, we're, we're becoming more equal now. No, no, you're not becoming more equal. You're becoming more agitated. You're becoming more venomous. You're becoming more opposed. You're becoming more opposed to each other. We were equal before, but not the same. You want everybody to be the same. And you can't be the same because we're inherently different. So a lot of it, I think, has to come to uh, come down to do with language. I found this just earlier. I watched about the first 30 seconds of it. Let's see what the BBC thinks about the secret language politicians are using. It's a major way that politicians are manipulating people into doing something that, if they're fully conscious of it, they wouldn't be morally comfortable with. What do these things have in common? See, of course, they're going to use things like dog whistle racism, for example. She, so she's like using language to make people comfortable with things that they would otherwise not be comfortable with, like, say, reproductive rights, for example. The right to end the reproductive process is labelled as reproductive rights, one that we've spoken about before on Trust and Verify many times, gun right, like gun control, the gun control debate. Oh, it's a debate about gun control, i.e. how much control should there be, not should there be control or not, Right. The climate change debate. Watch the debate is how much should we address climate change? How much should we spend on climate change? Not is climate change happening or not, right? It's a major way that politicians are manipulating people into doing something that, if they're fully conscious of it, they wouldn't be morally comfortable with. What do these things have in common? They've all been labelled a dog whistle. An image or phrase yeah, with hidden meaning only certain people are supposed to pick up on. It's pretty much always linked to race, mm. but like a dog... Yep, the only people who can hear the dog whistle racism of Donald Trump are apparently are the single white uneducated men and the journalists who used to work for BuzzFeed and used to work for the Huffington Post. <laughs> Sick burn. Sick burn, bro. Whistle. Most people won't hear it. Antonio I don't, I don't know why. Clean. I don't know why they got let go. I've got no idea. We need we need more reporting on dog whistle politics. I haven't read enough. 
the 5,000 stories that I read over the last year and a half about how everything is a dog whistle to racism. I need more. More. Give me more. Give me more stories about racism. Don't you dare fire the BuzzFeed journalists. I need, I need it. Damn it. I need it like a drug. I'll hook it up to my vein. Ah, yeah. Ah, yeah. That's the stuff. If you got those transphobic tweets, bro, yeah. I got the good tweets right here, bro. You like a little bit of Islamophobia? I got some, I got 30 keys of tweets, man. I got dog whistle politics op-eds, man. I got the good stuff, bro. He's like us. Accusations of dog whistle tactics blighted the 2018 US midterm elections. Bombshell Blue, Bombshell Blue asks why the outer space music, because that's where the dog whistle goes if somebody doesn't catch it and put it on a screen at BuzzFeed first. ...to notice how this Republican advert described Antonio Delgado, a black Rhodes Scholar and Harvard graduate. Big city rapper Antonio Delgado. The rapper part was true, and the reason they're repeating it over and over again is they can say that without saying he's black. (laughs) (laughs) Saying what somebody is is dog whistle racism. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. The reason that they're saying Antonio Delgado is a rapper all the time is because they're saying that instead of black. Hang on a minute. Are you saying that there's no Hispanic rappers? What the fuck? Are you racist? Are you racist, bro? Are you saying that there's no white? What about Eminem? There's no white rappers? Are you saying there's no Hispanic rappers? I, I'm, a, I'm shocked and appalled. I'm outraged. Hang on. Let me, let me do this for you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, there's no crazy with this rappers thing. are only black. Don't you know I'm local? This rapper, 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 rapper. He's only saying rapper because it's a way of saying that he's black. She insane in the membrane, bro. Ah, uh, he is a racist because he said a nigger like me is going insane, but he ain't. He's a Hispanic, so he can't be a rapper. <laughs> They're only saying he's a rapper because he's black. Okay. Irish rappers. Oh no. I don't understand. My whole world is crashing down around me. How can this be possible? I guess we can't say they're rappers because they're not black, right? There's so many dog whistles in this song. White rappers from Boston? What the hell? What the hell is this? 
I guess in the secret language of politicians, the guys from House of Pain would be suburban Boston fast talkers to music. The only reason they're saying suburban Boston fast talkers to music is because they hate poor Irish immigrants. Oh, okay. That's a dog whistle. Right. Right. Hey, man, I've got the good dog whistles right here, bro. I got the you like tweets about dog whistles, man. I got the good shit right. I got 30 keys of tweets, man. Big City Rapper is meant to conjure up associations of right. blackness, blackness and criminality. To you. And this is to nothing you. new. Both Republicans and Democrats seem to have a track record of depicting Obama as something of a foreigner. But something of about a foreigner. His supposed native clothing. I have no shame. Or no- supposed native clothing. Like- <laughs> You know, you know, the right was trying to depict Barack Obama as a foreign. Oh, I guess this is all special effects then. It's just a depiction. His supposed native clothing. No, that's very commonplace in Chicago, this stuff. Everybody wears this shit in Chicago. Why, well, I was hanging out for a bit of deep dish the other day and hell, the guy serving me the pizza was dressed like this. It's, it's, everybody wears this in Chicago. This is actually the uniform of the Chicago White Sox. You'll be pleased to know. How, how, how dare you say that this is supposed native dress? That is a dog whistle. Here, boy. Here, boy. That is dog whistle politics, sir, and you should be ashamed of yourself, sir. Native clothing. I have no shame or no problem with people looking at Barack Obama in his uh, native clothing. Or simply pronouncing his full name. Barack Hussein Obama. Barack Hussein Obama. <laughs> Barack Hussein Obama. <laughs> Pronouncing Barack Obama's full name is a dog whistle to racism. Whose fault is that? Fucking blame his parents, man. You can't you can't blame you can't say people are racist for saying somebody's full name. Do you realize how insane that is? You know, Barack's middle name might be Hussein. Barack's name might be Barack Hussein Obama, but only a racist would say that. <laughs> How, how, how dare you say his full name? How dare you, sir? Names are racist, you know. If they're saying that his name is a dog whistle to racism, are they saying that it's racist to have a middle name as Hussein? Are they saying it's inherently racist? Are they? They're making the link here. They're making the link between him and Saddam. Right. Obama. I think it was meant to trigger association. Imagine, imagine if you met Barack Hussein Obama and you would be like, oh, hello, Mr. Obama, I'd love to pronounce your full name, but I'm sorry, someone would call me a racist if I name you what you're named. So I'm going to call you Jim. Jimmy. Jimmy Obama. Jim. Jimbo. Hey, Jim Bob. Jim, Jim Obama was in the House of Pain. It's a good Irish name, Obama. Actually, that reminds me of something. There we go. He's he's not Barack Hussein Obama. Not at all. He's an Irishman. Barry Obama. It's problem solved. We're gonna we're gonna solve the problem of dog whistle racism right here. You could br- Barack Obama, you can't pronounce his name because that's a dog whistle to racism. We're going to fix it right now. O'Leary, O'Reilly, 
Barack Obama. You don't believe me, I hear you say. But Barack says Irish as was JFK. His granddaddy's daddy came from Monaco. A small Irish village, well known to you all. He's in the White House. He took his chance. Now let's see Barrett do river dance. Dog whistles. The Irish in Kenya. Everybody's Irish. That's how we'll solve this. President Barack Obama. Culturally appropriate the Irish. For our famous president, Barack Obama. There's no one as Irish as Barack Obama. The great Stephen Neal, a great man of God. He proved that Barack was from the outside. They came by bus, they came by car. Celebrate Barack in Ollie Hayes Bar. I feel so unracist now. I can't even hear racism anymore. All I hear is an Irish jig with our favourite Irishman, Barack Obama. Utterly fantastic. (laughs) No more dog whistles. All right, I'm going to take a short break, take a little pee break, or as they say in the great land of Ireland that Barack Obama comes on, I'm just going to go splash me boots. Just going to go splash me boots. I'll see you in five, not at all at all. Hello, everybody. This is Chris McDonald. I want to take this opportunity to invite you to listen to our Mac Files broadcast every Monday through Friday night from 930 to 1030 right here on Periscope, YouTube, and Facebook Live. We always have a wide variety of guests that talk about faith, make America great again, the nation, President Trump. We deal with a lot of law enforcement issues, a lot of immigration issues, and issues that are very relevant to the time that we live in. 
Friday nights, 1130, the one and only James R. joins us for Pirate Radio, one of the liveliest shows late night that you'll ever have. And then Sunday nights, we have uh, Pastor Ronnie Mitchum join us at 8.30 p.m. for our Sunday night faith chat. And be there. We're looking for you. Join us each week. Aloha. James R. here. When I'm not in court defending the boys from the starting block against slander charges. Alleged! Yes, yes. Alleged. I'm hosting Trust and Verify with Boogie Bumper every Sunday night at 1 a.m. on TABshow.com. Join us and all your favorite broadcasters there. TABshow.com. Friend and foe alike, join me, Varun Prasad, every week on the Common Discourse Weekly Roundup podcast. You can follow the show on at TCD Tweet on Twitter and Periscope. Subscribe to the show on YouTube, Stream Me, iTunes, or your preferred podcast platform. If you like what you hear or you would like to express your raging discontent, please consider leaving us a review. The Common Discourse, independent political opinion, thought, and analysis for the people by the people. Do you lie awake at night pondering life's big questions? Is there a God? What is the meaning of life? How would one do an hour-long sports show without ever actually talking about sport? If yes, we can help you answer 33% of these pressing questions. All you have to do is check out the starting block on TAVshow.com, Periscope, Stream Me, or YouTube, Wednesday mornings at 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can also download the podcast on iTunes just by searching for The Starting Block in the store or at thestartingblock.podbean.com. Or if you're really desperate for answers, why not check us out on Twitter, at The Starting Block. No KBN, don't forget to drop that K. Enlightenment is now only a click away. So that's why that kind of political speak, those kinds of comments, whether I witness them or they're thrown directly at me, they just don't bother me anymore. I, I laugh. Because I know basically the entire, you know, the entire ideological platform on the left and has is built on fear and always has been. Remember, it's it's there's fear of capitalism because those greedy business owners, they're going to starve you to death. They're going to work you to death. That's built on fear. There's fear of the rich. The rich are trying to keep you down squashing you trampling on your dreams you need to get rid of them that's selling fear there's fear of freedom i mean why do why do you think why do you think safe spaces exist the people accusing you of selling fear and paranoia literally endorse the creation of safe spaces in universities and triggering warnings trigger warnings just in case someone might present a piece of educational material, whether it be in some kind of book or movie, that may stroke them in a negative way emotionally. The people accusing you of selling fear and paranoia literally need to be warned about material in books in universities before they hear it. And they say you're the ones pushing fear. In reality, they are the ones that exist and live and breathe in a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year campaign of fear. Fear of everything outside the norm that's been constructed within the bounds of the ideology itself. 
because their fear, real or imagined, is what motivates them to accuse you of using fear against them. Welcome to the Daily Boogie. We're back. Thanks for sticking around, guys. Good to see you again. Thanks to those who stuck around after the break. If you didn't, so long, sucker. I see that we dropped around 20 people, which is fine. It's good to shed. It's good to shed some dead weight because now we're going to get really freaky. Woman reveals her boyfriend is a 45-ton passenger plane named Charles. (laughs) In other news, men are threatened by femininity. A woman has revealed. <laughs> Gee, I'd, I'd pay money to be there on the honeymoon, wouldn't you? How does this? I don't. I don't know. Halfway through the act of making love to your now husband, the forty-five ton passenger plane, I could just picture guys in orange jumpsuits running out. You know, the technicians <laughs> kicking the tires, refueling. Getting out their nuts and bolts and spanners and whatnot. Uh, it should be good to go now. Kick her over. Kick him over now. Kick him over now. Oh, yeah, that's the stuff. A woman has revealed her boyfriend is a 45-ton passenger plane named Schatz that she met at an airport five years ago. It was a match made in heaven. Well, pretty close to heaven. It was about 30,000 feet. About as close as you're going to get, really. Michelle, <laughs> Michelle Kopke said it was love at first sight when she laid eyes on the Boeing 737-800. That is a, he's a big boy. Ooh, ooh, ooh. All my girlfriends are going to be so jelly. <laughs> Feeling attracted to his wings, winglets, and thrusters. <laughs> what a hell? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's got thrusters. He can go all night, baby. 
The 29-year-old said her family reacted pleasantly to the revelation that she was dating an aircraft that can seat 175 people inside. Would that count as group sex? Just just wondering. Group sex with 170. My my husband had 175 people in inside of him last night. Oh. His thrusters were red hot. I bet. Even though Sharts can't fit into her bedroom, she sleeps with him every night by cuddling up to a 1.6-metre model or one of his components. Oh, one of his components. I, I, I know where she's going. Got to go straight to the flight stick, don't you? She met. She first met Sharts at Berlin Tegel Airport. What the fuck is going on in Germany? Serious, serious question. Mile High Club. <laughs> it was just her sitting alone on the toilet. And the new couple now plan to get married. The plane enthusiast described him as her first love and said it is the most beautiful relationship. I need to see a picture of this. It's objectophilia. There she is. (laughs) There's shots. There's the happy couple. Isn't it wonderful? I, I feel so happy for them. What would you get them for your wedding present? I would get them a little tiny packet of peanuts and one of those Pepsi cans that's like the size of a thimble. That's probably what they serve at the reception. <laughs> Just airline food. At the reception for the wedding, it's all of those pre-packaged veal cold on blurs that nobody can eat. Or chicken parmigianas. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the setup for the wedding, like, no, you're not sitting in a big circle like you're in rows. People bring the, the food down on little carts. Do you, Michelle, take Schatz to be your lawfully wedded husband? Will you honour him through sickness, through health, through forever do you part? Yes, I do. Do you, Schatz, take Michelle to be your lawfully wedded wife? Will you honour her in sickness and in health forever until death do you part? Please put your tray up. If, if something happens, a gas mask will drop down. Please make sure you you fix the mask for the person next to you before you fix your own. We are cruising at 30,000. Michelle said, The last time I was in relationship was with a man in 2011. Wow, this is the rebound of all rebounds. There she is keeping one of his parts at home. But there was no love there. Shards is my first love. This is the most beautiful relationship you can imagine. She continued, Oh, turbulence is hot. My first flight was at the end of November 2013 and I became so in love with aeroplanes, I got so excited every time I looked at aeroplane pictures and videos. At least it's tasteful. On March 11, 2014, I was in Teagle Airport and visited the aeroplanes and then came a 737-800 airplane which approached me and I have been so in love with him ever since. Dawn says, what do you get when you cross a liberal and an airplane named after a wet fart? (laughs) You get an average day in Germany. I think you'll find. Special kind of love. There she is. (laughs) Michelle has plenty of pictures of her kissing Schatz or cuddling with his panels and components or a large model. Schatz is so nice and I love his aerodynamics and his appearance. She's a cute girl. Why, Why does she have to go out with a plane? She's not an ugly girl, you know. She's a good-looking young lady. What's the problem here? I guess the problem is she wants to have sex with an aeroplane. Maybe that's the problem. 
Every time you meet a man, you're talking about shots and his thruster. Like, yeah, you know what? I don't need this shit. I'm going to delete Tinder tonight. I've had enough. This is the last. This is the last crazy plain lady I ever go out with. Every type of aircraft looks a bit different, and my darling is the most updated version. My love is not easy because I only meet him if I fly with my 737-800. In hangar and taxiway, it is not possible to be with him, so we don't have much time together to enjoy each other's company. (laughs) Average. (laughs) Objectophilia is a form of sexuality focused on particular inanimate objects. Remember a few years ago, a lady uh, married a lamp? Do you remember that? People with this preference may have strong feelings of attraction, love, and commitment to certain items or structures of their fixation. Do you remember the good old days when women would just fall in love with a vibrator? And now, now look, they're falling in love with fucking jumbo jets. God help us all. God help us all. A female doctor has been struck off for having an affair with a cancer patient. A doctor has been struck off for doing the unthinkable to an emaciated male cancer patient while he was under her care. Let's have a little look here. So, yeah, I'm one of the community oncologists. I work in Scarborough. So uh, as a community oncologist, I uh, I treat all tumor sites. Um, Thank you. Do I just press the green? Yeah, okay, thanks. Um, see, I don't, I'm not up here very often because I work in the community, so I don't know how to use this. Um, so, um, work in the community. As a community oncologist, the, the community was to give patients the same treatment that they would get at an academic center, but just closer to home. I mean, these patients end up in our eMERGE. And so, okay. uh, for me, it was very important to be able to look after them in eMERGE. She's another pretty young lady. Like, are we so bad? Men, are we so bad now? Are we so bad that you know, the ladies would rather have sex with cancer patients in hospital beds when they're their doctors and fucking aeroplanes? Like, what the hell is going on? A disgraced female doctor in Canada has been slammed by a panel for taking advantage of an emaciated cancer patient after she had sex with him in his hospital bed during his treatment. Thipa Sundalingram was stripped of her license on Wednesday by a disciplinary panel at the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario in Toronto. She was found guilty of sexually abusing a patient. The 37-year-old's affair with her patient reportedly began when she gave her Instagram handle... That, that'll do it. Those de- You've got to look out for the Instagrams. And personal phone number That a day after delivering his devastating diagnosis. Wow, the next day. Wow, so she says to this guy... I'm sorry, you've got cancer, and he's really bummed out. The next day, she's like, hey, here's my Instagram account. You know, here's my number if you want to hook up or whatever. I know where you're going to be. <laughs> it's okay. I know where to find you. I know where you. I know where you'll be. After sending the ill man flirty messages, it then turned physical, hugging and kissing him before eventually progressing into Sundaralangrams, masturbating and having intercourse with her patient in his hospital bed. From virtually the beginning of your doctor-patient relationship, you cross boundaries and ultimately sexually abuse an extremely vulnerable patient suffering from a life-threatening illness. I don't know. I feel like if um, these are the fruits of taxpayer-funded healthcare, I might actually get on board with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got a toothache. Can you just rub, rub me there? Can you rub me down there? That'll be fine. 
doctor, it's the darndest thing. I have an ingrown toenail. You know what I really need right now? <laughs> Sinsake says it sounds hot. I don't how many porn how many porn movies have been based on this on this scenario? It actually came to life. It actually happened. This isn't like your your regular pool boy or pizza delivery boy situation. This is this is real life porn now. From <laughs> Sunder Lingram, who treated the man 23 times, treated, well treated, between January and July 20. Uh, this is this is a tough one because I want to make so many jokes here, but it's kind of like, well, you know, the guy did have cancer. So it's, it's like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, I think you just got to go hard. Go hard or go home. I think you've just got to <laughs> grab it by the balls, so to speak. I mean, we're going to be dead one day, right? (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. I don't hate cancer. I don't... I don't don't hate attractive female doctors who masturbate their patients in their deathbeds either. (laughs) (sighs) She treated the man 23 times between January and July. She's active. And once in March, pleaded no contest, meaning she was not admitting guilt, but consented to the panel accepting the allegations as fact. The panel described her behaviour as abusive and abhorrent. According to the publication, a statement of uncontested facts said she visited patient A a number of times at his home, where he lived with his family, and would spend hours with him in his bedroom engaging in sexual activities. Wow. There she is on the right, covering up. But then she dumped him, and that's when everything turned bad. After asking him to remove her name from any visitor's log at the hospital, she ended the affair in 2015, telling him she was in love with a colleague. Oh, dear. The man, who cannot be named, said, It's difficult for me to talk to anybody about it because the reality is I'm male, so for me to say, Hey, I dated my oncologist it wouldn't be a surprise for someone to say, cool, but that's not cool. That's not the case because I feel abused, and it's very difficult as a male to come out and say that about a female. It's usually the other way around. It's not actually usually the other way around, believe it or not. They reckon it's about 50-50, but it's only one, it's only one uh, direction that gets reported and magnified and blown up. But they reckon like even domestic violence and stuff, it tends to fall down on like 50-50. I was physically emaciated and emotionally exposed and the loss of a critical relationship defeated me. He went on to say that what compounded the toll was her refusal to continue providing medical care for him at the same time. Well, it would be kind of awkward, wouldn't it, though? If she went on doing the cancer patient stuff. If she kept going on with the cancer treatment after she ended the, the sexual activities, it's kind of a letdown, isn't it? It's like, congratulations, you're healthy. Yay, but, you know, I didn't get blown today. So, you know, what's the point? (laughs) I kind of wish I was sick again. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. It's just just hard. It's a a tough place to be in when you're someone like me (laughs) who has no no boundary when it comes to making really distasteful jokes. (sighs) Have sympathy for me. All right. It doesn't matter. We're all going to be dead soon. 
Asteroid the size of a jumbo jet is hurtling towards Earth today. NASA warns, I hope it's not Shartz. Shartz isn't going to kill us, is he? Fuck you, Shartz. If I can't, if I cannot be with my lover, then I will destroy you all. Typical German. Typical German, Shartz. Asteroid the size of a jumbo jet is hurling towards Earth today, NASA warns. The asteroid dubbed 2019 BC3 will make a close approach to Earth at around 1759 GMT. There it is. NASA has warned that an enormous asteroid the size of a jumbo jet is currently hurtling towards our planet. The asteroid, dubbed 2019 BC3, will make a close approach to Earth at around 1759, at which point it will be travelling at 29,500 miles an hour. Thankfully, at that point, the asteroid will still be around 3 million miles away from Earth. However, this distance is considered close by NASA. Better get out there and do what you want to do now. If you want to have sex with your oncologist, now would be the time, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to approach your oncologist for masturbation and cancer and cancer treatment, now would be the time. <laughs> Get your Instagram out there immediately. You'll never know who you're going to meet. If you want to marry that marry that jumbo jet that you've had your eye on for quite some time, now would be the time, ladies and gentlemen. Now would be the time. <laughs> um. Let's have a little look at this. I thought this was interesting. This was from Vice, Vice Media. Check this out. Black lives have never, ever, ever mattered to the Democrat Party. Black votes always have. The Democrat Party have established a house of token niggers. Token niggers. Democrat Party, they want us to permanently be in a state of fear, racism, white racist Republicans. They just put a black person in the White House for eight years. They didn't do anything for us. Here we go. Are we such punks that we are so scared to try something different? Nova Moon's going to the airport to see if he can get lucky. I like that spirit. supposed to be automatic. What you need to do, Nova Moon, is go to the airport and act as a cancer patient, and then you may get a female jumbo jet to, quote-unquote, treat you <laughs> in your bed. Won't that be fun? I'm curious, like, is this really about the politics? Like, how do we know this is real? Like, it's, it's legit. You guys have a beautiful home. How do we know it's a real? Lot of family photos. Yes. <laughs> a lot of Welcome to the world of modern-day illiberalism, ladies and gentlemen, where everything is subjective and nothing is real. What? Black guys wearing red hats? This can't be real. I must be imagining things. Meanwhile, what is definitely real is ladies getting married to planes. Right? (laughs) That's real. That's fine. That's okay. That's all well and good. That's obviously real. But a black guy wearing a MAGA hat? No. What is this, some kind of sick dog whistle fantasy? Please. Sick burn, bro. People said that my family was brainwashing me, and that really bothered me. I've had people that have known me for seven to ten years that have texted me and told me that I have a mental illness. You ready? Move it out. For my sister at one time to say that you're a traitor. A traitor to who? A traitor to my race. How do y'all feel about black conservatives? Like, y'all house Negroes. Like, y'all just trying to please this white man. These are lost, disturbed, self-loathing people. Notice that all of those youngsters had caps on, 
So I think some people assume this is a play for votes. Well, I haven't changed, and I'm not going to change. Voting for Trump is not about being a Republican. Make America great again is for us, too. What does it make you feel like when you wear it? It makes me feel like a proud American. You have to defend why you voted for Trump. Hillary Clinton. That's who they wanted us to vote for over Trump. <laughs> I'm a black gay conservative, and I am proud of that. We have to start moving like free agents. The people in this room are going to change America. Aren't they doing good stuff? Just, it's a, it's a virus in the system. You know what I mean? In the best possible way. It is a disruptive virus in an otherwise orchestrated, well-manipulated, well-controlled environment. It's like, um, uh, you know, it's like injecting some kind of gas into like the perfect greenhouse. They were going around meticulously pruning all the little leaves, making sure nothing grows too much or too fast, right? All of the plants were specifically, you know, just put there. And then someone comes along and pumps some growth hormone into the greenhouse. And all of these vines and plants are going wild. And, you know, these idiots are running around trying to clip these plants. Oh, my God, we've got to clip it. We've got to cut this poppy down. We've got to rip this plant out of the ground. Stop, stop, stop. We need you small and begging for sunlight. We need you begging for the light. If you find your own light, then we you have no use for us anymore. Just an update, ladies and gentlemen. Woman reveals her boyfriend is a 45-ton passenger jet named Schatz. Meanwhile, black conservatives, it's not real. It doesn't happen. It's a fantasy. It's not it's make-believe. It's a myth. <laughs> Not bad. Not bad. The Democrats are very nervous, I will tell you. They're very... They do nothing for you, and that was supposed to be automatic. Not anymore. (laughs) I can live with that. That's... uh, I was never a fan. You know that, right? (laughs) The past, the black community has been promised everything from the Democrats, by the Democrats, and they've got nothing. Democrat policies have led to unsafe communities, failing schools, over-incarceration. When I ran for president, I asked black Americans to give me a chance with your vote by saying, what the hell do you have to lose? I remember the line. Look, he's, he's amazed that they remember the line, what the hell do you have to lose? Well, he obviously, this guy obviously has a lot to lose. He has to lose his job at Vice Media, the nice suit, the necklace, uh, the status that comes with reporting on a left-wing site like Vice Media. He has a lot to lose. See, the pressure, the um, if you thought it was tough, like coming out as a white Trump supporter, I've heard a couple of interviews with black Trump supporters from the South, for example, and you can't imagine the pressure that these people are under to vote Democrat. 
Holy cow. You know, one guy, I forget his name, but one guy was saying that the bus pulls up outside of church on voting day. And the pastor in front of your whole family and everything, like, will single you out. Because they might have gotten wind that you don't hate Trump as much as you should. They might have gotten wind that you've been flirting with some Republican ideas and whatnot. You might be a little bit too conservative for their liking. And he'll single you out in front of the whole uh, congregation, your family, everything. So you're going to vote Democrat today, aren't you, boy? And they all turn around and look at you. That's pressure. That's pressure. Peer pressure is real. Peer peer pressure is a thing, and it works. It absolutely works. That's why, like, um, you know, the Amish people shun when somebody in the community does the wrong thing. It tends to stop people from doing the wrong thing. The shunning. That's that's what the modern left does now, isn't it? If you don't toe the line, if you don't say the right things, you say something potentially dangerous. The modern day equivalent of shunning is to be, you know, deplatformed, depersoned online. Because this is the new town square where people meet and exchange ideas. And if you don't go along with the orthodoxy, then you will be shunned. You'll be called all the names under the sun. People will disown you. They don't want to talk to you anymore. Look at that Howard Schultz guy we were just talking about at the start of the show. The curious case of Howard Schultz. You know, three, four, five, two, one year ago, they're all cheering him. Oh, he wants to hire refugees. He's pro-gay marriage. He wants to talk about racism in America. He's a fucking hero. We love him. He could be president one day. We love Howard Schultz. He comes out and says that the Democrats have gone too far to the left with their economic policies in regards to healthcare. All of a sudden, he's a demon. He's an egotistical, rich, white man billionaire who's running for president because he's a narcissist. Just like that. They turn like that. And I've always tried to say to people, you know, if you think uh, the left is out to get you because you're a conservative, the left saves the most venom for people who used to be part of them. If you used to be on the left, they hate you the most. If you ever ran in lefty circles and, you know, engaged in lefty politics at any level and you turn your back, you are public enemy number one. You are the one that needs to be hunted down and stopped. They they care more about that than they do about attacking conservatives. Reason being, because you know, you know how they tick. You know what makes them tick. You know how it works. You know the tricks. And they know that you could convince other people that they're going down the wrong path. So you need to be a ghost. You can't exist. And any mention of your name in those circles that you used to run in, that person will be shunned. Hey, hey, you remember that guy? Remember that remember that chick who used to be part of us? Yeah, 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 yeah. Shut up. Shut up. No, you don't. That racist. That traitor to the cause. Fuck him. What did he say about our policy? Fuck him. Get him out of here. They can't have that. The biggest threat to the institutional left is and always will be people who used to be part of that system. 
conservative, they go after conservatives like it's like it's a game, like it's a sport. They go after their former comrades like it's life or death. Because in many respects, because you understand the inner workings of how their system operates and the way they keep people in line and the tricks that they play in the media and activism and whatnot, in many respects, it is life and death. You might convince other people. So you need to be stopped. going to be honest, I never thought I would ever see this many black people in MAGA hats. President Trump received more votes from black voters than both Mitt Romney and John McCain. And a lot like his presidential campaign, much of the media seems to be dismissing the growth of the black conservative movement and instead is attacking their character and motives. We all know African-American Republicans. These are lost, disturbed, self-loathing people who are part of a personality cult for a president who calls for domestic terror and a destruction of every norm that makes this country great. Was not suppress, a suppress, it was suppress, a suppress. Attack, attack, attack. Focus your sights on those who are leaving. It's like, um, you know, in the Soviet days when they were fighting the Nazis, right? On the Eastern Front. You know what they would do? People who were retreating from the fight, other people were instructed to shoot them in the back as they were running away. They're, they're comrades. If you didn't want to fight, you had to be killed. And to a lesser extent, that's what we're dealing with here. If you're not fighting for the comrades, then you are surplus to requirements. It's inherent in the ideology itself, right? If you're not producing outcomes, then you're a passenger. And if you're a passenger, then you're a liability. And if you're a liability, then we can do without you. Right? Rally, the use of young blacks as props. Notice that all of those youngsters had caps on. It was almost like we're going to dress you for the photo. And while the Democratic no Party place for bourgeoisie moralism in the revolution of the black vote, they don't need to lose that many black voters before they start losing elections. We're in D.C. for the first ever Young Black Leadership Summit, where young black conservatives from around the country have come together here in a conference to be put in front of conservative thinkers to find what is hopefully a physically safe space for them to be both black and conservative. I like the use of the word safe space in there. See, this is another thing. This is, this is what I would be doing too. Um, I would try to take the negative um, caricatures of the left and apply it to this group, Right. So, you know, the term safe space has been very memeable for the last three years. And we laugh at the idea of a safe space. You know, these um, wilting snowflakes stroking puppies and drawing with crayons because they're too afraid of hearing information that doesn't agree with their sensibilities, right? And that's become a very, very effective weapon, especially when dealing with, like, university-aged people. So what you do is you then, whenever you see... Um, you know, a congregation of people on the other side, you would say, oh, look, they're trying to create a safe space so they can be black and conservative. And he's doing it in a way that sounds sympathetic to the cause, but it's not sympathetic to the cause. It's about framing it, right? 
in a way they've only been able to do online. I don't know if this is genuine, there you go. but I'm really curious genuine. to find out from some of the kids who are. I don't know if this is genuine. This might be all make-believe. This is a kind of fantasy. Like all of these people here, this is this is not genuine, right? And after you use the term safe space, because people on the right say safe spaces aren't genuine. They're not real. They're constructions. They're manufactured little, you know, meme fantasies. It's not a real thing, a safe space. There are no safe spaces. So you use the term safe space and then question whether this gathering is genuine or not. It's very clever. And it's done in a sympathetic tone. And it's the right guy doing it too. Here this weekend, why they're here and what being here actually means to them, what being there meant to them. Black lives have never, ever, ever mattered to the Democrat Party. Black votes always have. They create this narrative every four years Thank you, that the Republicans Thanks are racist. They try to scare us. Are we such punks that we are so scared to try... Don't build up your expectations too much. We were just discussing um, a woman who is in a relationship with a 45-ton passenger plane. So, you know... <laughs> We sprinkle in insight amongst the, you know, <laughs> amongst the reams of shit that we laugh at because it's just so ridiculous. But thanks for joining us. <laughs> Something different because every four years they knock for our votes and they say, vote for us because the other guy's gracious. This is our time. Make America great again is for us too. We are Americans first and foremost. We have been in this country since 1619 before any other immigrant group. This is Candace Owens, and at 29, she is the most influential young black conservative voice in American politics. Black support for Donald Trump has doubled since this time last year. You guys can try to pretend that he is pushing in a racist era in this country when in fact we know the Democrats are the racists, have always been the racists. The left is incredibly good at linguistics. She's particularly good on those kinds of shows because generally the way it works is if you get asked on this show, they have um, their weapons ready. So they have a set of questions that are designed to trap you. And it's not apparent from the first question, right? It's kind of like a police interview. So the policeman wants to find out where you were at a particular time. They don't just come out and say, where were you, where were you at this particular time? They'll ask you different things like, hey, did you work yesterday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you do for a living? Right? Well, you know, I'm a construction worker. Construction workers, they tend to finish like, you know, three, four o'clock in the afternoon, right? My brother was a construction worker. He used to get home at like half past three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We finish about three, three, four, four o'clock or something. Yeah. You know what my brother used to do when he was working construction? He used to love to um, go to the bar after work and have a couple of beers with his buddies. There was a bar just around the corner. And the guy will then volunteer information, say, yeah, yeah, like we go to a bar, there's a bar just around the corner there, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, you've got a report in front of you saying that, you know, a girl was um, harassed or raped at a bar at 4.30 in the afternoon around the corner from the building site. Right? That's how they get you. So that's what they do on shows like this. I mean, you know, Candace Owens, you've been particularly influential in you know, directing the thoughts of young black people. They'll say shit like that, you know, <laughs> because you're controlling them. It's not real. It's all make-believe. It's a meme, right? It's some kind of sick mind control. It's a personality cult. But she just, like, cuts right through it. She goes straight for the throat. She's really good at this stuff. 
pushing in a racist era in this country when in fact we know the Democrats are the racists, have always been the racists. The left is incredibly good at linguistics. Planned Parenthood. That sounds nice. I want to plan my parenthood. But in reality, they're murdering babies. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm Lee. Nice hey. to meet you. You guys have also not been too nice to me in the press. Hi, how are you? In less than a year, she went from being relatively unknown to capturing the attention of the... See how straight away most people would shake hands and go, nice to meet you. Straight away, she puts them on the back foot. She puts this guy on the back foot. Now he's the one that's in the submissive position. She's in the dominant uh, dominant position. Media people, um, they feed on the fact that they're the ones asking the questions. Like, they're questioning you. You don't question them. They question you. They're the ones that are prying into your soul. They're the ones who are trying to figure out the way you think. They're the ones trying to, you know, portray you a certain way. So they don't like being on the back foot. This is something that Donald Trump does well. He has done for a few years. And so straight away, yeah, you haven't been really nice to me in the past. So straight away, he's he's caught off guard and he needs to change his approach because he knows that he's in the submissive position here. So he's going to have to play nice, right? He can't come at her. He's going to have to like instantaneously. And it's a subconscious thing. Like if someone comes to you with that first statement like that, it doesn't matter what your plan is. It's like... Uh, Remember Mike Tyson? I think it was Mike Tyson who said this. Um, you know, he was fighting somebody and he was getting interviewed and the guy said, uh, well, the guy's got a plan to beat you. And Mike Tyson said, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Right? <laughs> everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Same thing applies here. He goes up to a, you know, expecting a kind, a certain kind of interaction and she slams it right back at him first up straight away. Now she's smiling. He's, he's on the back foot. She's in control. He's not. President, all through social media. Russian collusion is the dumbest shit that you guys have pulled out in a really long... Really, this is it? Like, this is where... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> if you don't vote for Democrats, if you don't get behind us... Listen to the music Russians behind are gonna be infiltrating your computer. Little things like that creep into your subconscious. Listen to the music they put behind this little rant here. In less than a year, she went from being relatively it's unknown evil, it's dark, to capturing it's the wrong. attention of the president all through social media. Russian collusion is the dumbest shit that you guys have pulled out in a really long... Really, this is it? Like, this is where... Oh, my gosh. If you don't vote for Democrats, if you don't get behind us, the Russians are going to be infiltrating She's your computers you. and telling you how to vote. Like, what is wrong with you guys? Are we really witnessing the... Because it was actually like a really light-hearted, sarcastic post that she did. Like, what the hell is wrong with you guys? They put that music behind it. To make it like there's an ulterior motive here. There's an agenda here. She's trying to trick you. And they're trying to trick you. Pollution of the face of the Republican Party here? Or is this an effort to capture more black votes and nothing else? Oh, so what you'll realize is we never tell anybody how to vote. Um, this has never been about, I, for the first time two weeks ago, registered as a Republican. I was just, uh, I always call it conservative curious. I knew something wasn't working on the left. They've grown increasingly violent and mm-hmm. they seem well, obsessed with race. Us. It's every single day they're trying to sell to us our own oppression. Of the Democratic Party, it's been going on for far too long. And we say enough is enough. We're not voting for people who are not serving our communities and serving our best interests. The only people that are white that we have allowed around us are white liberals. And the only reason why black men are out here stomping on flags and burning them is because the Democrats never taught them how to love that fucking flag. When 
done with the fear-mongering, and we are understanding that despite everything that's been said about President Trump, he's brought more results than the black president that was in office for eight years prior to him. But the time is now. People- See, even the little edits like that. So, the, you know, the only reason we've only surrounded ourselves with white liberals, the only reason people are stomping on the flag and burning it is because they've been lied to, right? And then cut straight to her saying we're done with the fear-mongering because then they're going to present the juxtaposition. Oh, well, they're fear-mongering. Right? They don't have to say that they're fear-mongering. They put that statement and then her quote back-to-back and little subconscious triggers go off in your brain if you're already, you know, kind of uh, biased towards the opposition to this. Straight away, you're going to be like, oh, well, they're demonising liberals, right? It's very subtle. This this science, is, is it's extremely subtle. And, like, there's varying degree. You can be overt in your advertising. You can be overt in your PR. Or you can be very, very subtle and very, like, subversive and covert about it. And it's different approaches for different things. People are feeling empowered. The time is now for us to stand up and say, it doesn't matter what you call us anymore. We want to be free and we want to be a piece of the American dream, too. While these points could be debated back and forth by both sides for literally eternity, literally this eternity. was the standard rhetoric being used throughout. While these points could be debated back and forth for literally eternity, as in, as if to say, there's no point having the debate, right? <laughs> if we debate something for eternity, then why bother debating? There's no point to the debate. So that's how you minimize what she's saying. Do you see what I'm saying here? That's how you diminish her point is by saying, well, you know, other people disagree and we can agree or we can debate this forever. What's the difference? Who cares? Right? The entire event. In 2008, I voted for Obama simply because I got blacked into it. I'm going to be honest. And he treated us like we are victims. I mean, that's what I would do if I was arguing with a progressive and a progressive was arguing some particular point, I would say, look, that point, that's a fair point, and we can argue that point. It's a, it's a long conversation, but what we really need to talk about is this. <laughs> Everybody does it. Like, if you should be at all times in a debate and a framing situation, in a framing um, mindset, you should at all times be trying to one-up your opponent. And it's a it's a kind of it's a battle that happens without you don't call each other names, right? You don't you don't yell and scream. Jake, thanks for joining us. Good to see you again. Been a while. You 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 don't call each other names and stuff, but you are constantly trying to get one over on your opponent. You're trying to reframe their frame, and they're trying to reframe your frame, right? And it just keeps escalating up and up and up. On the surface, to people watching it, it just seems like a pleasant conversation, but it's not a pleasant conversation. <laughs> it's not a pleasant conversation at all. You're playing like uh, ultimate battle chess with each other. And <laughs> unless you're aware of the science of how it works, then nobody really knows what's going on. They only know who they know by uh, the feeling that they get when somebody wins. That's how they know. And they don't consciously know it. They know it subconsciously that somebody won that exchange or I agree more with that person because one of them won, but they don't think of it in terms of the science. The things that I learned in the hood are very conservative. Oh, sick burn, bro. Sick burn. Welfare, land for the slaughter. You make money, somebody comes up to you and says, give me 35% of your money, what are you going to do? Money. Excuse me? (laughs) Give you what? Give me your gun? Uh, Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. 
These are very conservative principles that we are raised with, but we don't even know it. I, I call myself just a free thinker. It's become a lifestyle. You know, it's who I am. No one paid us to be here. I absolutely love myself. I am not a coon. So when people are like, oh, you're just being used by the Republicans. No, you're being disrespectful to me because I know what I'm doing. Today in this room, I'm so excited because we are going to launch in front of the world a movement, a movement that will forever be remembered as a piece of American history, a movement called Blackxit, the Black Exit. While there are only a few hundred people at this summit wearing Blexit t-shirts, there are thousands more online. And as long as black Americans have had the right to vote, there have been black Republicans. But there has never been the community activism and recruitment than that created by the rise of social media. And one such influencer in this space is Antonia Okafor a Second Amendment rights activist and conservative speaker. That's hot. Yesterday, a horrific incident took place at Texas Tech University. A student took his gun and shot a campus police officer in the head. Why am I a campus carry activist? For this very reason, to empower the law-abiding individual and student on a college who's afraid of a criminal harming them. We're following her to Iowa because she's being honored at Congressman Steve King's annual pheasant hunt a GOP tradition sponsored by a man who's been called a racist by the press. <laughs> Previous honorees have included Ted Cruz and Donald Trump Jr. So why Antonio? Of, of course he's a racist. He only wants to be in a, in a space with black people as long as he's got a gun. Obvious, obviously. <laughs> what agenda does this serve? Because in my mind, this looks a lot like GOP recruitment. Uh, Raise it up to your shoulder. Part of the habit like that. He looked at the bird and just shoot him. See, that's another false paradigm that's often perpetuated as well. This looks like GOP recruitment. Um, I've got news for you. Democrats like guns too. Mm-hmm. Yep. You heard it here first. There are plenty of Democrats. Flag-waving, gun-toting, rooting, tooting Democrats who love their guns, man. This is, this is fundamentally why... Um, the Democrats never amend the Second Amendment or never change the Second Amendment when when they're in power. They only bring up the Second Amendment debate when they're in the minority. Why? Because they know that a large chunk of their own voters would be against changing the Second Amendment. But they don't admit that. They can't have that. They use it as a media weapon and to wedge Republicans. It gives a reason for their more fringe activists to get out there and march in the streets whenever time, whenever there's a mass shooting, right? If the Republicans are in the, in the majority, you can get all of the activist pages on the internet whirring into action. You can get people out in the streets. You can get, um, you know, the, the various personalities to talk on different shows. Oh, we need action now. The Republicans are against gun action. When the Democrats are in power, they don't do it. They know they know they don't do it because the unspoken chunk of Democrat voters who are in favor of guns, right, they would throw them out of office. They would turf them out on their ear. That's why they don't do it. They only do it when they're in the minority as a political weapon. They don't, they don't really believe. To be fair, for a long for the longest time, the large majority of politicians at the top of the ladder haven't really believed in left or right or anything. They, they have no principles. They have no ideology. Their ideology is control. Their ideology is power. And however however they have to 
you know, take uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, for example. When she was uh, a congresswoman in a very small seat, she was running on, you know, very moderate Democrat policies, right? When she became a senator, she had to shift. Now, all of a sudden, she's far left. Oh, my views have changed. Like that. Because the ideology at the top of the tree in politics is control. It's not, you know, I believe in this, I believe in that. They believe in control. They believe in power. And whatever avenue they have to take to get power, like we've spoken about before, um, one of my previous podcasts, I outlaid, you know, a theory, the, the, the three laws of politics. Everything that happens in politics comes down to the three laws of politics. Everything that happens at every single level is all about either getting power, keeping power, or stopping someone else from taking it. Everything. And it doesn't matter if you're, you know, a hardcore communist and you want to bring in a communist junta into Washington, D.C., you can't do it without first getting power, keeping power, and stopping someone else from taking it. And if you are, you know, a, like a, a Jesus-like godly Christian, you wouldn't hurt a fly and you just want best what's best for everybody and you want to give and have charity, well, I'm afraid you can't do that unless you get power, keep power, and stop someone else from taking it. It is the underlying rhythm to everything that happens in politics at all times. And it is undeniable. And it doesn't matter what side of the fence you're on or what your particular beliefs are. Nothing happens without the three laws of politics. It is the fundamental launching pad for every single debate, every single question, every single media hit, every single gotcha question, every single budget thing, every single vote tally, everything. It's the basis for everything that happens. And there's no getting around it. It's just the way it is. And people at the top understand this, which is why I say, you know, the people at the top care less about ideology and care more about the three laws of politics. And they'll do whatever they have to do in order to get power, keep power, and stop someone else from taking it. The second longest-serving Prime Minister here in Australia, a guy named John Howard, held up as a conservative hero. He was a conservative guy, right? All the conservatives love him. He once famously said that politics is less about... Winning winning elections is less um, less about ideology and more about numbers, more about math. It's about mathematics. It's not... It's not about ideology. It's not about principles. It's about mathematics. You know, we need a certain amount of votes in this community here. We need, you know, we need to gain 0.8% over here in this district. We need to hold 3% over here. We need to do this, this, and this in order to make that happen. Getting power, keeping power, stopping someone else from taking it. Ready? All right. Move it out. Nice and easy. Nice and easy, guys. Come on. Come on now. Come on. No bird. No bird. Well, I don't know how that bird lived through that. There it is. Is this like a regular thing? Do you come out into the plains with white men carrying shotguns a lot? <laughs> um, no, that's not like a thing. <laughs> Um, I do live in, born and raised in Carrollton, Texas, so right. that was, I mean, it was predominantly white. Have you, like, found yourself being, like, one of few or, like, the only minority in, like, rooms more as you're 
like political influence has grown? Probably. <laughs> yeah. But also while I've been doing this, I've seen it grow. The whole thing that's happening right now, the Young Black Leadership Conference, it's just like showing and one. Do you feel that you've become increasingly isolated because of your politics? <clears throat> Do you often hang out in fields with white men carrying guns? <laughs> You see what's happening here? Mm, and he's like, mm, yeah, yep, yep. Do you, do you think it's a problem? Like, do you think maybe most people disagree with your politics because you're hanging out with white people with guns, you know? And mm, mm, mm? place what I've known for a long time, that there are a lot of black conservatives mm -hmm. and that there are many of them who are closeted black conservatives. They're out there. Yeah. I knew I wasn't alone, but... I was the most vocal. Is it an isolating experience being a, a black conservative? There it is again. There Isolation. is a, a mentality almost like if you say anything that's different, there's a firing squad waiting for you. Can you firing tell me squad, about unfortunate choice of words. Being Democrat to having these more conservative views. Yeah, I think I've always had conservative views. It wasn't until 2000. A lot of people that vote Democrat, especially black Christians, have conservative views. People vote <clears throat> People vote for parties for lots of different reasons. I've spoken about this before. The hardest one to pry people away from when you're talking about voting habits is tradition. You know, I vote Democrat because my daddy voted Democrat and his daddy voted Democrat and his daddy voted Democrat because they care about black people. And that's about as much thought as people will put into it. It's very difficult to pry that away. It's like being born into supporting a football team, right? Like, you know, if, if, if you've always been a Pats fan for as long as you can remember and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, why don't you go for the Rams? You're not going to go for the Rams. You're going to be like, fuck no, I hate the Rams. I'm, a, I'm Pats through and through. Similar thing happens with, you know, traditional family line voting habits. Very difficult. I'd I'd love to, you know, be able to do a study. <clears throat> I'd love to be able to do some research into that and find how many people are traditional voters. You know, they vote for a party because their daddy voted for a party because their daddy voted for a party kind of thing. And how many of them have actually switched? I would I would bet <clears throat> pardon me. I would bet that it would be in single digits the amount of people who actually switch when they have that kind of upbringing in terms of who they vote for. It would be a tiny, tiny, tiny minority. That's that's just a hunch. Like that's, you know, an educated guess, but I would love to have some data on that. I would love to have some data on that. Ah, JDM, thanks for joining us. Laughing my ass off, Boogie. Your vote don't matter, pal. It's all decided without your vote. Well, that could be true. It, 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 it's especially true in America, JDM, because I don't vote there. <laughs> you see what I did? Sick burn. Sick burn, bro. All right. Let's do another article here. Trump allies think Ruth Bader Ginsburg is hiding or dead. It started on QAnon. Dun, dun, dun. Ah. She's kept a low profile while recovering from cancer surgery. Right-wing sickos. <laughs> sickos. 
sickos. Turn that against the Liberal Supreme Court Justice. Uh, yeah, and this is how stupid they are. Then they quote Sebastian Gorka, who hates QAnon. <laughs> <laughs> yes! I have no idea why, you know, journalists are getting fired. I've no, I got no idea. They do such good research. Top figures in the pro-Trump media are claiming Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, pro-Trump media, otherwise known as the dark corners on the internet. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's what you'll find. <laughs> the dark corners on the internet, where BuzzFeed journalists and Huffington Post journalists dare not tread lest they be fired. Uh, claiming Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg is hiding a secret illness. Well, it's not secret. Didn't she have cancer treatment? What's what's the fucking secret here? Uh, am I missing? Is there another? Is there another illness? Is she having sex with her oncologist? Is she having sex with her oncologist? Is she going to marry a jumbo jet? Or is even dead? Elevating a bizarre new claim from the fringe QAnon conspiracy theory. On Thursday, former White House advisor Sebastian Gorka su- suggested on Twitter that Ginsburg, 85, oh, she's so young, who has cancelled public appearances since undergoing surgery to remove cancerous lung growths in late December, might be hiding a medical condition. But Gorka took, yeah, it's called age. <laughs> it's called age. Like, what do we pretend like, you know, natural causes isn't a thing anymore? Come on, man. She's 85 years old. What do you want to do? What do you want to get out there fucking roller skating? Like down <laughs> down the boulevard, roller skating, eating ice creams. You know, you know what I mean? What do you expect? She's an 85-year-old who had, you know, massive surgery. They they literally cut her open and cut pieces of her out. You know, do you know how hard it is for someone who's 85, generally speaking, to get up out of a chair? Imagine getting up out of a bed after somebody has stuck a knife in your chest. You feeling me? And they're like, oh, don't be silly. Don't be silly. She's as fit as she ever was. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about, man? <laughs> how, how dare you question? How dare you question this? You disgusting conspiracy theorists. Yes. Here's the conspiracy. Old people who have major surgery may take a long time to recover and may not recover. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Still no sign, Gorka wrote. Six days left until Ruth Bader Ginsburg has to make her official appearance at real Donald Trump's State of the Union. Asked about this tweet, Gorka told the Daily Beast to go outside and lick a metal street lamp. (laughs) (laughs) Best possible response. When asked about this tweet, Gorka told the Daily Beast to, quote, go outside and lick a metal street lamp. (laughs) Fantastic stuff. Ageist bigot. Ageist. Men in Black Real. Bizarre footage shows mysterious man put security guard in a trance. Oh, I've got to see this. And as you can see, he is confronting him. He's looming over his desk. 
Maybe this is what happened to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Maybe she'll come back and think that she's Will Smith. He is confronting him. He's looming over his desk. Liam's sort of backing away, defending himself. And I would put money on there having some sort of argument about what Liam's found. Ever since then, I haven't been able to find Liam on social media. I only wish I would have downloaded the pictures that he posted. There's some definite confrontation going on here. It's got to be set up. Obviously, because Liam feels very uncomfortable and he reaches for the scissors on his desk. This guy quickly gets something out. Oh, of Oh come on! <laughs> Liam goes absolutely still. He does this strange hand symbol, some sort of triangle or something. He doesn't look very cool to me. And Liam gets up. He starts seeming to follow the orders that the guy gives him. He goes to his bag and takes out this strange object. I'll try to get a close-up of it. What is that? Gives it to the guy. You could see in the beginning Liam wanted nothing to do with him, but here he is. That's so set up. It's so bad. Thank you, thank you, uh, Daily Express, for showing us why we shouldn't watch YouTube anymore. <laughs> Even the way the guy's narrating it. What is that? What is that? I got no, I got no idea. He's just doing what he's been told to do. I don't understand. Got no idea. Uh, Kamala Harris, ladies and gentlemen, the rise and fall of Kamala Harris's healthcare policy. <laughs> If you missed the start of the show, go back. We talked about healthcare policies in regards to um, that evil, racist, rich, white, billionaire prick that we used to love, Mr. Schultz, Sergeant Schultz, Schultz, the Schultzmeister, I call him. Uh, here is the dramatic 24 hours of Kamala Harris in regards to healthcare. Just, so just to follow up. Just to follow up on that, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, to reiterate, you support uh, the Medicare for All bill, I think, initially... A lot of people in the chat talking about um, the chat not working, they can't see each other's texts and stuff. Uh, That's not me. That's not coming from my end. I don't think, anyway. I I haven't done anything. I don't know why that's that's happening. I'm sorry. I wish... is, Is that happening for everybody? Are you all only seeing your own texts? I don't think so, because there's been people talking to each other and stuff. Maybe you might have to um, update your app. So you might have to go into, you know, the App Store or the, you know, the Android equivalent. You might have to get an update or something like that. I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, But it's definitely not something I do. I don't want you to, I don't want you to be in isolation. I like spicy chat. The only reason I'm on this app is because of spicy chat. (laughs) So maybe that's, that's all I can think of. Thanks for joining us, by the way. But that's all I can think of. Um, maybe, you know, try and update Periscope if that's what you're using or stream me or um, on Android or iPhone. Maybe update it. Maybe there's some kind of update or something. I don't know. It's been mostly busted. Tap, tap the screen. They are in theater mode. Okay. If you use it on desktop, you can see the chat, J-Dub is saying. No chat all night. Very sporadic. Yeah, I did notice the other day I was watching, um, I can't remember who I was watching, but for like five minutes at a time, it would just be silent chat, nothing. And then all of a sudden there's chat again for like two or three minutes and then it's gone again. So I don't know. I don't know. It's probably something they're working through. 
Um, as as a as a Periscope badge holder, I'm here to tell you that the good people of Periscope are professional and working always to maximise viewer enjoyment, ladies and gentlemen. Sick burn, bro. Sponsored by Senator Bernie Sanders. You're also a co-sponsor yes. on, on it. I believe it will totally eliminate private insurance. Um, so for people out there who like their insurance, well, they don't get to keep it? Well, listen, the idea is that everyone gets access to medical care. And you don't have to go through the process of going through an insurance company, having them give you approval, going through the paperwork, all of the delay that may require. Who of us have, has not had that situation where you've got to wait for approval and the doctor says, well, I don't know if your, your insurance company is going to cover this? Let's eliminate all of that. Let's move on. Let's eliminate all of it. Let's get rid of all of it. So, of course, she came under fire for this, for saying, let's just eliminate an entire industry like that. Let's just move on. Let's just get it done. Uh, 24 hours later, ladies and gentlemen, Kamal Harris is open to multiple paths to Medicare for all. (laughs) (laughs) The CNN cleanup operation begins. (laughs) We got to stop. Because that clip went viral. You know, people were like, you know, panicking. Oh, the fucking sky is falling in. Her PR team must have gotten in her ear and gone, Kamala, whoa, 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 Kamala, we need to address this. CNN to the rescue. Kamala Harris is open to multiple paths to Medicare for all. By stating that she would eliminate private insurers as a necessary part of implementing Medicare for all, California Senator Kamala Harris during a CNN town hall Monday night sent a shockwave through the national healthcare debate. Harris's comments underscored the extent to which a move to single payer would radically overhaul the current system and, in frankly addressing one of the transition's most politically difficult steps, step directly into her critics' crosshairs. Ah, oh, conservatives pounce. <laughs> Republicans attacked Harris within minutes. <laughs> a couple of people do this, like, have spoken about this before. Uh, I know Bongino's talking about, uh, spoken about it. Molly, oh, I forget her last name. Uh, she writes for the Federalist, I think. Is that the one? Oh, what's her name? Molly Hemingway. She's always onto this stuff as well. She's fantastic. So the story is now that the Republicans attacked Harris. <laughs> it's not what Harris said. <laughs> Let's look at. What is your solution to ensure that people have access to quality health care at an affordable price? And does that solution involve cutting insurance companies as we know them out of the equation? Um, I believe the solution, and I'm and I'm actually feel very strongly about this, is that we need to have Medicare for all. That's just the bottom line. See, all the major Democrat nominees are running on Medicare for all. And if you go back to the start of the show, the curious case of Howard Schultz, he's the one that's not, and therefore the entirety of the corporate media institution is coming down on him like a ton of bricks. You know, somebody speaking sense in this. We can't have that. We must not have that. Is Lord of the Rings prejudiced against orcs? <laughs> I can't see why. Hey, don't be afraid of what's different. Fantasy author Andy Duncan was inspired to write his story, Senator Bilbo, 
after noticing that the segregationist Senator Theodore Bilbo shares a name with the J.R.R. Tolkien's Hobbit hero Bilbo Baggins. Senator Bilbo is this parody in which you have this racist demagogue stomping around the world of the halflings in a sort of desperate holding pattern to keep at bay all the change that is coming as a result of what seems to have been the War of the Ring. Yes, because now the orcs are the refugees. That's a, See, I love that. They're trying to make a broader point about you know being prejudiced against people from other places, but what they're actually doing is association memeing orcs with foreigners. <laughs> PR fail, bro. PR fail. Thought this one was fun. Are you stupid? What is an assault rifle? Yeah, exactly. What is an assault rifle? What is an assault rifle? No, 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 no. Stop, guys, guys, please. What is an assault rifle? Are you stupid? No, 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 I'm very curious. Are you military grade weapon. So you do realize every Pistol, so you took call a pistol a military grade weapon. No, actually, I'm not. I'm not talking about pistols. Then, In case no, your ears are fucking. It's a military-grade weapon. You know, everyone in the military has a pistol. I'm not talking about pistols in case your ears aren't working. Are you stupid? <laughs> How many times have you seen this righteous ignorance? I never get bored of it. I love this shit. 1.7 million views. This lady's famous now. Righteous ignorance is like a blessing. You should You should embrace righteous ignorance. When people get really, really upset and angry about a cause that they know nothing about. <laughs> I just sit back and smile. I, I feel like buying them an ice cream. Oh, you're adorable. You, you, you have an ice cream. You're gorgeous. You're adorable. What? What is an assault rifle? I can't answer. I'll walk away. Does anyone want to tell me what an assault rifle is? Let me tell you 50 people. Let me tell you the Second Amendment is. Second Amendment. Can anyone tell me what an assault rifle is? Because it's a made-up term by politicians trying to take our guns away. What does AR stand for? What does AR stand for? Tell me what it stands for. Armalite is it. Tell me what AR stands for. I don't give a shit what it stands for. I know what it is. Shit. And deadly weapons. Should we get rid of that? Yeah, we should. Should we get rid of knives? Yeah, we should. And bats? We should get rid of you and Trump and everyone. And you too. And you too. That's like so Get rid of you too. If you want to get rid of him. And, and he's and he's got the balls to put a sign that says Trump is unstable. <laughs> Have you seen the inside of a body that ate an assault burrito? No, and I wouldn't want to either. Okay. <laughs> um, Angela Merkel, ladies and gentlemen, formerly known as Mutti, 
which is German for mummy. Uh, here's a short little clip, and I've got a couple of little clips to go along with it. And then we'll get right into your stuff. Take a look at these meetings of world leaders from the past 10 years, and you'll likely notice one figure. This is German Chancellor Angela Merkel, one of the most influential leaders of Europe. Her leadership spans 13 years and four terms. Ich schwöre, dass ich meine Kraft dem Wohle des deutschen Volkes widmen, so war mir Gott helfe. In that span, she became one of the most powerful women in the world. But recently, she stepped down as leader of her party, and she won't be running for re-election. Diese vierte Amtszeit ist meine letzte als Bundeskanzlerin der Bundesrepublik Deutschland. By 2021, not only will Germany lose one of its longest-serving leaders, so will Europe. Merkel has dominated European politics for decades. So how did Angela Merkel become so powerful? And what does her exit mean for Europe? Berlin Wall divided Germany's capital in half for almost three decades. This side was part of the prosperous and democratic West Germany. And on the other side was an impoverished and communist East Germany, a satellite state of the Soviet Union. I was raised by immigrants to Australia from Germany who had to escape communists holding machine guns in the middle of the night. When the wall fell in 1989, the East unified with the West and Germany quickly became one of the largest and most populous countries in Europe. This is when Angela Merkel entered politics. She was elected to be a member of the new parliament in 1990, but rapidly rose through the ranks. By 94, she was Minister of the Environment, and by 2000, she was head of her political party, the CDU. Now, see, While Merkel <clears throat> became the Christian Democratic Union, people often talk about Ah, Angela Merkel is a conservative, but what you have to understand is the Overton window in Germany is very, 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 very skewed. Because since the end of World War II, anybody who is seen to be on the right of the spectrum at all is seen to be akin to Hitler. So the Christian Democratic Union in Germany is like the far left in America, right? That's like the Green Party in America. And the AFD, who have a lot of, you know, policies that would, you know, appeal to people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, for example, like corporate taxes and stuff, they are considered to be far right. So the spectrum in Germany is very, very different. ...the CDU. While Merkel became more important in Germany, reunited Germany became more important in Europe. It became a leader in the European Union. There were open borders between EU member countries to let people and trade pass through freely. And Germany led the effort to create the Eurozone, where 11 EU countries adopted the Euro as a common currency in 1999. These policies made EU countries more dependent on each other. And in the early 2000s, the EU increased... Someone was asking how long ago. I think it was uh, early 70s, but that, so they came from Berlin though. So Berlin was split in half. Right? So Berlin had East Berlin and West Berlin, and Germany also had East Germany and West Germany. Singly looked to Germany, one of its most powerful economies, to be its leader. Starting in 2005, that leadership came from Angela Merkel. Merkel was elected Germany's chancellor and demonstrated a talent for building consensus. She engineered a grand coalition between Germany's biggest political parties from the right and the left. See, see. With this alliance behind see how he didn't mention, because this is the uh, the website Vox. 
see how he didn't mention the other party in this, the Social Democratic Party. This is what I try to explain to, you know, Americans. Sorry. You know how everybody's getting really upset with a two-party system? We need a new party. We need a new party. You have to understand. So what? which countries have been the most stable countries over the last 150, 200 years? I'll skip the question time and go straight to the answer. It's going to be the UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the United States of America. The most politically stable. And the reason it's the most political, uh, politically stable is it's based on the Westminster system, which is a two-party system, right? Because in a two-party system, you, you, there isn't massive amounts of change that happen very quickly. That's one thing. But there's also less fracturing. Like everybody is divided into two teams instead of ten. Now, you might think that you want a, um, you know, a system where there's like 10 parties, 20 parties, and you might think that that's more fair and that would uh, bring better outcomes, but it doesn't. Here's the reason. The Christian Democratic Union, if you are on the rights, if you're a conservative in a Western European country, you are going to have to form a coalition with hard left socialists because nobody gets enough of the vote to rule outright. You know, the most the most um, voted for parties in these countries get like 20, 30% of the vote. Do you see what I'm saying? So you have to, in order to form a functioning government, you're going to have to do deals across the, across the floor, which means you're going to have to give the socialists what they want in order to become the government. And you might think, well, we, we, you know, if we have to do deals from time to time... <clears throat> But if, this, if you don't do what the socialists want, then you're not going to be in control. And if you're not in control, then you can't have the conservative government that you want, right? You're far better off going with a two-party system. Like, you know, I, I don't think that everybody identifies with one party or another. I think it's inherently flawed in that respect. But if you look at it objectively, the only other choice is you eventually do what the socialists want. That's it. Like, there's a reason that the Christian Democratic Party in Germany had to open its borders and institute a whole bunch of socialist far-left policies. And Christian Democratic Union voters might be particularly conservative. If you go to places like Bavaria, they love hunting. They're farmers who love hunting, love guns. Right? Do you see what I'm saying here? So when you open up like to all of these like minor parties that have to form coalitions, there's only one way it goes and it only goes the way of the, what the fringe wants, the socialists, because you've got to factor into it as well, PC, peace, political correctness. So everybody is bound by the rules of political correctness in this sphere, in politics. That has to change. That's the first thing that you've got to get rid of. It might work if you get rid of uh, political correctness. You know, one of the, the 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 reason that I wanted Donald Trump to win, primarily, like, yes, borders, yes, trade, yes, all of this stuff, yes, regulations. But the number one, the gold standard, the, the, the five gold star reason is to mortally wound the institution of political correctness. That is the rope around our necks. That is the thing that constricts all possibilities. Because... Everything starts from being able to vocalise prospective outcomes. And if you're not allowed to, you know, articulate 
certain opinions or certain policies, then you limit the amount of possibilities in the future. So in these countries where political correctness is rife, you have these coalitions of, you know, right and left, but political correctness rules the show. And who benefits from political correctness? It's going to be the social Democrats. Because you might be part of, you might be a conservative in this coalition, but you can't come out and say what you really want because you'll be called a racist for it, right? So you're going to have to work within the bounds that they create for you. And so then what you have is the hijacking of parties that you would think would be on the right of the spectrum. You know, the Christian Democratic Union should be a a conservative right-wing party. But their, 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 their brain is owned, their mind is owned by political correctness and the coalition members that they have to appease in order to retain power. Because remember, at the top, the three laws of politics. Getting power, keeping power, stopping someone else from taking it. Whatever you have to do. If you have to do a deal with the devil, then so be it. These biggest political parties from the right and the left. With this alliance behind her, Merkel solved two of Germany's biggest economic problems. She cut government spending and reduced unemployment. Her ability to stabilize Germany's economy became particularly important when the EU faced a crisis. This Eurozone crisis has gone from bad to worse. It is a high-stakes game where the players are world leaders and the wager is the world's economy. The global economic recession in 2008 hit Greece especially hard. The country inched towards bankruptcy and its economic decline brought down the value of the euro, which hurt everyone in the Eurozone. But Merkel's Germany was weathering the recession. I'm inspired now. We're gonna to have to we're gonna to have to play a bit of Farage from a few years ago. GDM might not like this. Nigel Farage speaking in the EU Parliament maybe four years ago, five years ago. Eight years ago. Eight years ago. Well, good morning, Mr. Van Rompuy. You've been in office for one year, and in that time, the whole edifice is beginning to crumble. Uh, there's chaos. He was ahead uh, of his the time. The money's running out. I should thank you. You should perhaps be the pin-up boy of the Eurosceptic movement. But just look around this chamber this morning. Just look at these faces. Look at the fear. Look at the anger. Poor old Barroso here looks like he's seen a ghost. You know, they're beginning to understand that the game is up. And yet, in their desperation to preserve their dream, they want to remove any remaining traces of democracy from the system. And it's pretty clear that none of you have learned anything. You know, when you yourself, Mr. Van Rompuy, say that the euro has brought us stability, I suppose I could applaud you for having a sense of humour, but isn't this really just the bunker mentality? You know, your fanaticism is out in the open. You talked about the fact that it was a lie to believe that the nation-state could exist in a 21st century globalised world. Well, that may be true in the case of Belgium, who haven't had a government for six months, but for the rest of us, right across every member state in this union, and perhaps this is why we see the fear in the faces, increasingly people are saying, we don't want that flag, we don't want the anthem, 
we do not want this political class we want the whole thing consigned to the dustbin of history. And we had the Greek tragedy earlier on this year and now we have the situation in Ireland. Now I know that the stupidity and greed of Irish politicians has a lot to do with this. They should never ever have joined the Euro. They suffered with low interest rates, a false boom and a massive bust. But look at your response to them. What they are being told as their government's collapsing is that it would be inappropriate for them to have a general election. In fact, Commissioner Wren here said they had to agree their budget first before they'd be allowed to have a general election. Just who the hell do you think you people are? You are very, very dangerous people indeed. Your obsession with creating this Euro state means that you're happy to destroy democracy. You appear to be happy for millions and millions of people to be unemployed and to be poor. Untold millions must suffer so that your Euro dream can continue. Well, it won't work because it's Portugal next with their debt levels of 325% of GDP. They're the next ones on the list. And after that, I suspect it'll be Spain. And the bailout for Spain would be seven times the size of Ireland. And at that moment, all of the bailout money has gone. There won't be any more. But it's even more serious than economics. Because if you rob people of their identity, if you rob them of their democracy, then all they are left with is nationalism and violence. I can only hope and pray that the Euro project is destroyed by the markets before that really happens. If you rob people of their identity, <clears throat> if you rob them of their democracy, then all they are left with is nationalism and violence. Eight years ago, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't know anything. He's an idiot. What does he know? What does he know? He doesn't know nothing. No. Just a stupid Nazi, bro. Sick burn. Doesn't know nothing. Didn't do nothing for no one, no how. Eight years ago. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Sick burn, bro. Let's carry on. And better than anyone in Europe. So it fell on Merkel to rescue Greece with her economic strategy. He is. He's a time she trailer. demanded Greece pass huge spending cuts in exchange for loans from the EU and the International Monetary Fund. These were deeply unpopular across Europe. Cutting Greece's pensions and services were harsh tactics. But Merkel's priority was to retain the integrity of the Eurozone. No. And Greece's debt no. threatened that union. Merkel's priority was to maintain the flow of money coming from taxpayers into the German economy. Merkel eventually got the 16 Eurozone countries to support her plan and kept the Eurozone together, cementing her role as the unparalleled but controversial leader of Europe. Within Germany, Merkel's popularity continued to grow. Germans called her Mutti, meaning mother, for taking care of their economy. She even earned her own emotion. Stupid Americans. Mutti does not mean mother. Mutti means mummy. Mother is Mutter. God. 
Sorry, that, that triggers me. Germans called her Mutti, meaning mother, for taking care of their economy. She even earned her own emoji, representing her trademark hand gesture. And in 2013, she won her third term as chancellor. But this term would turn out to be very different than the others. The number of migrants coming into Europe this year alone is now at more than 500,000. Almost 900 people drowned as they attempted the crossing from Libya to the EU. Some countries are, are greeting them with the open arms. Others are setting up fences with barbed wire on top. Then it in all 2015, went more than no one why. million refugees what fled happened? conflicts in northern Africa and the Middle East and migrated to Europe. Otherwise known as Stage 2. Up. Merkel called on EU leaders to help take in refugees, but several European nations pushed back oh. as nationalist politicians in these countries stoked anti-immigrant fears. <laughs> nationalist politicians in these countries stoked anti-immigrant fears. The first thing to recognize here is that these are countries that were formerly under the control of the Soviet Union and having finally escaped the Iron Curtain of the Soviet Union and they're finally welcomed welcomed into Western Europe where they're promised capitalism and prosperity and freedom, they now have Angela Merkel saying, we need to control your immigration policy for you. And they're like, fuck no. I don't think so. No, 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 no. We've been under the communist system for the last 60 fucking years, Mutti. We're not doing it again. We're not going right back there again, right? No, I I am the supreme leader of Europe, and I have declared that you will take all of the immigrants that we are offering you. This will be a wonderful, wonderful addition to your economy. You will love, you will love and they're like, I don't think so. No, thank you, Muti. No, thank you, Commandant. But I love it. It's like nationalist politicians stoking anti-immigrant fears. Oh, I wonder where that came from. The violence in Berlin came nearly one year after another crime that inflamed tensions between Germans and the growing population of refugees there. Just stoking The mass fear. sexual assault of 1,200 women Just on New Year's Eve by as many as 2,000 men. Nationalist the attack metric. had huge political consequences over the year that followed. But as Malen Larson found out, very few legal ones. Also, Vice Media, that known right-wing conspiracy website, Vice. Since New Year's Eve, I always carry this knife with me in order to feel safer. She's obviously Vanessa is one of the 1,200 women across Germany who were sexually assaulted or harassed last New Year's Eve. She took us back to the main train station in Cologne, where it happened. The guys who were groping you, can you describe what they looked like? 
Ja, es waren halt Typen auf jeden Fall von aus dem Ausland, so arabisch, marokkanisch. Was the police not doing anything? Wir standen nur da, auch als dieses Mädchen laut geschrien hat, hat einfach nur geguckt und nichts getan. Die waren so damit beschäftigt, weil so viele versucht haben, da hochzukommen, sich da durchzudrängen. Maybe they were researching um, potentially hate incidents online with Twitter, ladies and gentlemen. I'm, I'm here to tell you, though, uh, the Nordic countries have a solution. Norway is addressing this problem. This, this, will, this will give you a sense of ease. This young lady obviously isn't progressive or tolerant enough. She's still racist because she thinks when uh, mass groups of people come uninvited and then try to rape her that it's their fault. It's not. Um, the problem is they just haven't been educated properly. So let's check it out. Norway's got the solution. This is from The Guardian. People think perhaps that they want to sleep with us if they are dressed like this and this. That's not true. This is no ordinary classroom. The students here are Muslim migrants seeking asylum in Norway. They're being taught how to respect women. <laughs> of course, they can have got some uh, wrong signals. Maybe the better for the women if you not become equal. Females in miniskirts are only females in miniskirts and not something else. Across Europe, migrants have been linked to a string of shocking sexual assaults that have been seized on by right-wing groups. Ah, oh, conservatives pounce! Conservatives pounce! <laughs> See, the problem isn't the, the act. The problem is the right-wing reaction. Oh, conservatives pounce! And fears of Muslim migrants were exploited fears. during the EU referendum campaign. Exploiting fears, those evil conservatives. Exploiting fears of things that don't really happen, which is why we need a class to teach new migrants how not to rape people. We have a class teaching new arrivals how not to rape women, but the only reason we're doing that is because conservatives are making things up about sexual assault and exploiting fears and pouncing. Right, right, right. <laughs> you really have to be a knuckle-dragging, drooling, bib-wearing moron of the highest order. You really do at this point to go along with that shit. You really do. If you're spewing out lines like that, you are... <laughs> I don't know. You should be in special school, man. You should have been held back a decade. You should still be in kindergarten. And you'll still get people in the chat going, oh, you're fucking Nazi, you're racist, bigot, you don't know. And it's like, <laughs> I just laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. Don't be surprised if scenes that we saw in Cologne don't happen more often. In the Norwegian city of Stavanger, three quarters of the men convicted of rape over a three-year period were immigrants. Mm, Classes on Norwegian culture are now compulsory for all asylum seekers. If they don't go... Their benefits are cut. Oh, oh, well, cut. <laughs> now, 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 guys, if you don't go to the class of how to not rape people, we will cut your free money by a percentage. Oh, oh, I'm good to see that. I'm glad to see that they're putting a hard line down. Yeah, teaching them a lesson. You know, we'll reduce your free money to 80% of what you would normally get if you don't go to the How Not to Rape Norwegian Women class. Oh, my God. You hardly, you, you bigot. You racist. 
they've got the right idea in Norway. I think we need more of these Norwegian politicians, these Nordic politicians, the Western Europeans. I think we need them in the new world. Like, bring them over. Australia, New Zealand, America, Canada. We can all progress together, collectively. I mean, on the upside, there's going to be a lot of people who are getting less welfare, right? <laughs> Sounds like Moy, Western Norway, population 2000, which is where I've come to see if Western values can really be taught in a classroom. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> it's just before Norwegian Constitution Day. Gro Helland is singing the national anthem to her students. Oh, they'll, they'll be inspired. You are here now in Norway. This is reality here. In our values, in our families, in our marriage. Why do I stay with my husband? Because he is controlling me? Do you think that we have some difference between yes, these girls? Yes, Wordsmart has correctly pointed out, but they've never been with a blonde woman before. Isn't that one of the benefits? <laughs> because it's not easy. If you are used with another uh, culture, another way of dress, it's not easy. It's tough. The problem is, we shouldn't stare. What do you mean? Are you saying that we shouldn't stare in Norwegian women in short dresses? Because a lot of Norwegian people stare at women in hijabs and think that they're backwards and progressives. Yeah, I've got news for you, bro. The Norwegian people aren't going to how not to rape women classes for a start, right? Right? Like, sorry. That's objectively true. The Norwegian people aren't going to classes to learn how not to rape people. Like government programs. Right? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> They also need to learn about us too. Uh, the students have been learning about the Norwegian way of life for weeks. Because, see, the real problem is uh, the Norwegian people. The, the real problem is the Norwegian people need to change their attitude to us. Right. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. Gro wants to know if it's having an impact. Have you changed? <laughs> Oh, I also oh, now help my wife around the house. <laughs> Pussy. <laughs> Fantastic. Sorry, that was too easy. You understand yeah. our culture so, wrong and we understand your culture in front of We need the time. We need the time. It's not we need time. One hour to discuss everything. Okay? Is there a, a okay, culture how, clash? how long do you want? 50 years? Something like that? 100 years? How about thousands of years of European history. Would that be enough time? That's what it took for us. It took us thousands of years to collectively, um, you know, evolve and grow and understand each other and develop systems and, you know, uh, social, unspoken social contracts with each other. And the great tragedy is these idiots who run these countries think, oh, we'll just get all these people from, we'll transplant these people from another culture that has existed for thousands of years, that's had no contact with ours whatsoever, and we'll just pick them up and move them halfway around the world and transplant them into a place where it fucking snows. They come from the desert where it snows, and the whole entire paradigm of how men and women relate to each other is completely different to what they know. We'll give them a one-hour class, and we're being humanitarian. 
Can someone explain to me what's so fucking humanitarian about taking people halfway around the world and plonking them into a strange culture with a strange language that they don't understand in the first place? Can someone explain that to me? Where, where is the humanitarian aspect in that? At that point, are you doing something to improve their life or are you doing something to make yourself feel good? Are you improving their life by, you know, transplanting them, turning them into a minority and everyone's racist and everyone hates them, everyone looks at them funny? Are you, are you improving their life at that point? Or are you making yourself look good? You tell me. All right, last break. We'll come back with your Twitter stuff. I know it's getting late. We'll slam through the Twitter stuff, but I've got to go pee-pee. So I'll see you soon. Hello, everybody. This is Chris McDonald. I want to take this opportunity to invite you to listen to our Mac Files broadcast every Monday through Friday night from 9.30 to 10.30 right here on Periscope, YouTube, and Facebook Live. We always have a wide variety of guests that talk about faith, Make America Great Again, the nation, President Trump. We deal with a lot of law enforcement issues, a lot of immigration issues, and issues that are very relevant to the time that we live in. Friday nights, 1130, the one and only James R. joins us for Pirate Radio, one of the liveliest shows late night that you'll ever have. And then Sunday nights, we have Pastor Ronnie Mitchum join us at 8.30 p.m. for our Sunday night faith chat. And be there. We're looking for you. Join us each week. Aloha, James R. here. When I'm not in court defending the boys from the starting block against slander charges. Alleged! Yes, yes. Alleged. I'm hosting Trust and Verify with Boogie Bumper every Sunday night at 1 a.m. on TABshow.com. Join us and all your favorite broadcasters there. TABshow.com. Friend and foe alike, join me, Varun Prasad, every week on the Common Discourse Weekly Roundup podcast. You can follow the show on at TCD Tweet on Twitter and Periscope. Subscribe to the show on YouTube, StreamMe, iTunes, or your preferred podcast platform. If you like what you hear, or you would like to express your raging discontent, please consider leaving us a review. The Common Discourse, independent political opinion, thought, and analysis for the people, by the people. Do you lie awake at night pondering life's big questions? Is there a God? What is the meaning of life? How would one do an hour-long sports show without ever actually talking about sport? If yes, we can help you answer 33% of these pressing questions. All you have to do is check out the starting block on TAVshow.com, Periscope, Stream Me, or YouTube, Wednesday mornings at 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can also download the podcast on iTunes just by searching for The Starting Block in the store or at thestartingblock.podbean.com. Or if you're really desperate for answers, why not check us out on Twitter, at The Starting Block. No K at the end, don't forget to drop that K. Enlightenment is now only a click away. So that's why that kind of political speak, those kinds of comments, whether I witness them or they're thrown directly at me, they just don't bother me anymore. I, I laugh. Because I know basically the entire, you know, the entire ideological platform on the left and has, is built on fear and always has been. Remember, it's, it's, there's fear of capitalism because those greedy business owners, they're going to starve you to death. They're going to work you to death. That's built on fear. There's fear of the rich. The rich are trying to keep you down squashing you trampling on your dreams you need to get rid of them 
selling fear. There's fear of freedom. I mean, why do why do you think why do you think safe spaces exist? The people accusing you of selling fear and paranoia literally endorse the creation of safe spaces in universities and triggering warnings, trigger warnings. Just in case someone might present a piece of educational material, whether it be in some kind of book or movie, that may stroke them in a negative way emotionally. The people accusing you of selling fear and paranoia literally need to be warned about material in books in universities before they hear it. And they say you're the ones pushing fear. In reality, they are the ones that exist and live and breathe in a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year campaign of fear. Fear of everything outside the norm that's been constructed within the bounds of the ideology itself. Because their fear, real or imagined, is what motivates them to accuse you of using fear against them. needed that the campaign of otherism word smarter by the way word smarter I saw your periscope today I shared it I invited people I retweeted it and um, if you want to put the details in the chat for the few of us who are still here then by all means do if, if that campaign's still going I'm not sure it might be over by now by the time I saw it I was probably still, like, I woke up our time difference. I was like, oh, okay, that's good. That's a good idea. Coming in hot. Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Thanks for joining us again. Twitter stuff. Thanks to everyone uh, who got involved with the Twitter thread. I always love this shit. First one comes from Kimmy Jong-un. Let's see. 
she prefaced this by saying, this is more fucked up than I expected, but here you go. That's, then it's perfect for this show. Then it's perfect for this show. Man held meth fuel death party for sick wife. <laughs> Minnesota man. Oh, he's not from Minnesota, is he? What a fucking surprise. What the hell is going on in Minnesota? Uh, a Minnesota man told police he held a death party for his terminally ill wife during which he gave her meth and they had sex shortly before she died. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that romantic? Hey, baby, you know, we're going to be separated for a long time after this and I just want you to know that as you pass into the next world, what I want you to have inside of you is my penis and copious amounts of methamphetamine. (laughs) Should be disco dancing up in heaven. Dwayne Arden Johnson, 58, of Searles, called Brown County Sheriff's Office after his wife, Deborah Lynn Johnson, 69, had died at around noon last Thursday. On the door of the property were the words, Death, Parde, Parde, God, Hell, sprayed in red. Johnson was naked and yelling that his wife was dead when the officers first arrived. He then sat in a, ba- in a bathtub trying to wash off black and white things from his body. tell you what though it's more interesting than the usual wake where people just hand out finger foods isn't it and people dress up nicely in suits and stuff and go yes he was such a nice guy i really appreciated him you know the guy sitting in the bathtub scrubbing off imaginary black and white things after taking a shitload of meth and fucking his wife to death it's got some appeal i guess it's different hey live a little wait wait is that wrong it's wrong too soon he also washed and wrapped his wife's body in linen, like the Bible told me to, he told police. Oh, he's a good Christian. While his wife was ailing but still alive, they listened to Quiet Riot's met, uh, metal health, took meth, and had sex just two hours before she died. Johnson claims that his wife told him to take her out of the nursing home in which she was cared for because she did not want to die there, despite medical advice not to. Police also found several guns and a lot of ammunition on the property. Wow. According to Keith... Uh, K-E-Y-C, police arrested Johnson and he is in he is held in the Brown County Jail on charges of criminal neglect. What do you mean criminal neglect? He literally fucked her. That's the opposite of neglect. <laughs> he made love to his wife. How can you say he neglected her? I'm sure he's a very conscientious lover. I'm sure he did everything that she likes done to her. Like neglect would be not touching her where she likes to be touched. In that situation. Criminal neglect. That's an outrage. Elsewhere in Minnesota, a dementia sufferer living in a care centre died after a member of staff punched him repeatedly in the face. Jesus Christ, man. (laughs) Stephen G. Nelson, 58, lived at Chappie's Golden Shores. It sounds like such a lovely place. Sounds like such a lovely place until you get punched in the face. In Hill City, where he was confined to a wheelchair, he was left bleeding when the employee beat the crap out of him, another staff member told investigators. A second employee held Nelson down, and a third failed to intervene. Nelson suffered internal brain bleeding and died weeks later. This is all in Minnesota. Minnesota, ladies and gentlemen. Once the brave frontier of the cold north... 
now reduced to a place of meth heads and people who beat the shit out of wheelchair-bound invalids. Isn't progress wonderful? Is he happy or crying in that mugshot? I can't figure it out. Good question, Eva. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> Another one from Kimmy Jong-un. Woman banned from Walmart after riding cart while drinking wine from Pringles can. Yeah, now, see, this is the kind of girl that I could get down with. <clears throat> this is fantastic. <laughs> Police were called to a Texas Walmart after a woman was reportedly drinking wine from a Pringles can. That is so classy. Why's your pipe? I mean, you can't not keep going. Right? Once you once you pop them, once you once, once you pop, I tell you, this this guy here, this Pringles guy, this this is a guy. This is a hell of a guy. And and once once you pop them open, you can't you can't you. You get thirsty. And riding an electric cart in a parking lot. Offers responded to a call around 9am. That is day drinking for the ages. Not only was she drinking wine from a Pringles can at 9am, she was drunk and in an electric cart drinking wine from a Pringles can at 9am. About a suspicious person. What's so suspicious about that? Come on, it is Texas, am I right? Am I right? <laughs> Marriage material says zero. <laughs> a suspicious person in the store's parking. What's so suspicious about this? Come on. She's just having a good time. Just relax. Relax, bro. The Times rec- uh, reported, investigators found the woman at a nearby restaurant and told her she was banned from the Walmart. That'll show her. That'll learn her. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry, young lady. After we found you driving or scooting around the parking lot in an electric cart, drinking wine from a Pringles can at 9am, I'm afraid you are no longer allowed to come back to the Walmart. Oh, what a punishment. What a punishment. The caller said the woman had been riding around in the store's parking lot since 6.30am, drinking wine from the potato chip can. How did the caller know that it was wine in the potato chip can? That's what I want to know. Oh, the rest of the story just isn't there. Oh, look, look, we've got a link here. Group drinks wine from Pringles cans. Oh, look at this. We didn't even know. What a link. Group drinks wine from Pringles cans in Walmart parking lot in honour of woman band for doing so. (laughs) Yes! Yes! See, finally, finally a social movement I could get behind. This is fantastic. Oh, look, I stand. I stand with the the Pringles wine wine heads. I stand with the women who want to drink wine from Pringles cans in Walmart shopping shopping set of car parks. You know what we need? We need a <laughs> we need a vigil, a public vigil. This poor woman, she's the victim. These fucking fascists trying to ban her from a car park. She was enjoying wine from a Pringles can. Do you know how beautiful it is to drink wine from a Pring, uh, Pringles can? Think of the saltiness. Think of the flavours, the melding. Oh, it's fucking utterly fantastic. How dare you ban her? Look at these people. Solidarity with the Pringles wino. They're trying to make her out to be a criminal. They do get it. They do get it.
much. I want to see the solidarity movement. They're not going to show it. They don't want to show the solidarity movement because they don't want to encourage more people to do it. This should become a worldwide phenomenon. Fuck MAGA. I want drinking wine from Pringles cans. Let's make that great again. Austin, Texas. After a Wichita Falls woman was banned from Walmart for riding around in an electric cart drinking wine from a Pringles can, some Austin residents decided to celebrate her actions by drinking wine out of a Pringles can in a Walmart parking lot. (laughs) More than 10,000 people indicated an interest and 2,000 said they would attend the drinking wine from a Pringles can in Walmart parking lot event Wednesday. <laughs> Look at these. That's here in the uh, Norwood Crossing <laughs> Walmart. You may have heard a little story earlier this week about it. a woman in Wichita Falls outside of Dallas who got kicked. See, I know Austin is really liberal, and I, I know there's a lot of snowflakes there and shit. But if if you're if you're of the snowflake variety, if you're a liberal and you're of the snowflake variety. If you do, if you just drop the political anger for a minute and do shit like this, everybody's going to love you, man. The whole world will love you. Like this is the kind of shit that liberals are good at. Like I'm just putting it out there. Conservatives aren't the kind of people to stand in solidarity with people drinking wine from Pringles cans. They're not going to make an event out of it. You know what I mean? Like they'll probably say, "Oh, just disgraceful behavior." But this is good liberal shit. <laughs> this is the kind of shit See, it's good to have a few liberal friends because if you only have friends with conservatives, you'll never get invited to a Walmart parking lot to drink wine from a Pringles can. I'm here to tell you, it's not going to happen. <laughs> off of a Walmart property. Well, she didn't get kicked off. She got banned from a Walmart for driving around in a electric scooter, one of those electric shopping carts, drinking Keep Austin wine weird. out of a Pringles can for a few hours uh, early in the morning. It was living 6.30 in the morning till 9. Uh, she wasn't arrested or charged or anything, but she was unfortunately banned from that Walmart. Well, so many people heard this story and thought, that is the best thing I've ever heard. I am that woman. That woman is me. Uh, so <laughs> someone in Austin started an event called Drinking Wine Out of a Pringles Can. Oh, I'm doing it next week. Next and week here I'm we doing are, it. drinking wine. Out of a Pringles can in a Walmart parking lot. Well, you guys are actually still eating the Pringles. That's it. That's it. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, the free-for-all next week is officially going to be drinking wine from a Pringles can while watching the free-for-all on a Thursday night. If you can be here, bring your cheap wine and a Pringles can. I will I will hold the can up on camera. I will fill it with wine on camera. I will take a sip. That's it. I'm getting rid. I'm I'm destroying the bounds of partisanship. I am going to tear apart the partisan bounds that separate us left and right, and I am going to stand in solidar uh, in solidarity with the liberals who want to stand in in car parks and drink wine from Pringles can. I'm doing it next week. If you want to be here for it, bring wine, bring a Pringles can. I'm going to promote the shit out of this. We are going to change the world, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to change the world together. We're going <laughs> to. We're going to be, we will do a live stream. I might even get people to zoom in. I'll get you to Skype in or zoom in and you can drink wine from a Pringles can live on the live stream. We will all drink uh, wine from a Pringles can next Thursday. Are you down? Are you with me? Let's fucking do it.
I was. We're done. We're, You're done. What's in your Pringles can now? Right now, nothing. I was taking it for the camera. Ah, but, boo. Uh, Maybe something. We'll see. Okay. Uh, what about you? What do you have in here? We're not using names or anything. I have a fine uh, Moscato pairing to go with. The <laughs> how does it? How does it pair? Does it pair well? well? Quite well. Yeah, Me too. Absolutely. Fantastic. <laughs> what about you, bud? What's in your Pringles uh, cup? I'm designated driver, so I've got hint water in mine. Mm. Responsible. Responsible Pringles drinking. I appreciate that. Um, nine to ten thousand people said they were interested in this event, which is why I'm here by the way, interested in this event in North Austin. And so far, there are a solid three people here. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a party, the Walmart parking lot. Why did you guys decide to come out here, by the way? Uh, and then there's the downside of liberals. They're all for the idea when it's on social media, but when it actually, when it actually comes to the crunch, when it actually gets to go time, ah, they'd rather stay home and play video games. Well, we're going to show the liberals how it's done. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to drink wine from Pringles cans. Right here on the Daily Boogie live stream. We're going to show them how it's done. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to welcome the Liberals in because it's a fantastic idea. And we're going to show them how it's done so we can all walk together in harmony. Another Pringles story. Some, somebody has been interested in Pringles today. Woman who performs sex act for $5 and Pringles gets shot instead. <laughs> Possibly one of the greatest headlines I've ever read. (laughs) A Florida woman told police she performed a sex act on an unknown man in exchange for $5 and a can of Pringles, probably because she wanted something to put her wine in, (laughs) but took a bullet to the shoulder instead. Who's this? Yeah. Uh, that's Diana Lorraine. To, Diana yeah. Lorraine does a show with uh, Tracy Belmonte, I think. Oh, Diana Lorraine's fantastic. I guess fantastic. I'm kind of old school or whatever, but you know, there's peepees and weeds. Very fantastic. And <laughs> yeah, so you, you know, and that goes from you know kindergarten to like eighth grade or whatever, yeah. and then from there, I w- I would buy uh, Diana Lorraine a Pringles can full of cheap red wine any day of the week. Just letting you know. You know, at least for myself. It was, you know, an older kid showing me a porno magazine. (laughs) But it was in German, so I kind of had a twisted view of sex until I was straightened out a little bit later on. But anyways. (laughs) Well, well, now there's a genderbred man coming to town. Oh, yeah? What's that? Or the genderbred person. The genderbred person. It's very insidious. There's this, like, you know, person that dresses up like a genderbred man. Right. Or a genderbred man. And he comes to the schools in kindergarten, first grade and stuff. Okay, I'm not sure what this is. <laughs> Police in Jacksonville, Florida, were called to a gas station on Lem Turner Road at 10.30 p.m. on Monday after the woman was shot, according to... Your TV news stations have such funny names. What the fuck does WJXT stand for? What the hell is that? What the hell is that? WJXT? I can't think of any word that needs to be in the title of a news station with X. Can you, unless it's like porn news. Like tonight, the latest updates. Updates on Stormy Daniels on WJXXXTTV. The shooting victim was taken to a local hospital and treated for non-life-threatening injuries. This is, this is a real shame because she had a contract with this guy. It's like, look, I'm going to blow you and then I'll get $5 in a can of Pringles. Pringles are very tasty. Pringles are very Moorish. 
if you give her one can of Pringles, like the guy's an idiot. Instead of shooting her, you should have given her the can of Pringles. And then after she pops, she can't stop. She'll probably blow you again for another can. You could probably keep her in the basement or a bedroom. You don't have to keep her there against her will. And just promise her every time she performs a sex act, she'd get a can of Pringles. I don't know any woman that would uh, refuse that offer, honestly. Of course, I understand female kind impeccably, and I've never had issues with women at all, ever. I know what they want, and they want Pringles. (laughs) I don't know, it's getting late. The woman told investigators she expected to be paid $5 and the snack food, but after she performed the sex act, the man began demanding his money back. Wait, he paid her in advance? That's no good. Can't pay in advance, bro. <laughs> Rookie. Like, if, if you're getting a $5 blowjob on a street corner somewhere, you never pay in advance. <laughs> That's a general rule of thumb. Don't ever pay in advance for a $5 blowjob. She told the police that when she refused to hand him the cash, he pulled out a gun and shot her. Wow. <laughs> Bitches be crazy. Where was the can of Pringles? Did he have a can of Pringles? Was it in his pocket? Is that a can of Pringles in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? Ah, that was too obvious. Multi-Pringles can beer pong. Yeah, we can do that. Poop in a Pringles can. (laughs) Pardon me. This one's from Scott of the Rile about the abortion stuff. We uh, We spoke about this at the start of the show. If you want to go back and watch the replay, I can't believe I don't subscribe to the Daily Caller. And I won't. (laughs) Virginia delegate Kathy Tran submitted bill to save caterpillars on the same day as late stage abortion bill. Yes, because who's going to protect the caterpillars? Think about the caterpillars, ladies and gentlemen. The Democratic Virginia delegate who has recently come under fire, conservatives pounce, for sponsoring a bill in the Virginia House of Delegates that would allow the termination of a pregnancy up to 40 weeks old is also the chief patron of a bill that would protect the lives of fall canker worms <laughs> during certain months, only certain months. So we will protect the caterpillars between, say, August and September, but we will kill the babies all year round because that's how we roll. We're nice and progressive. Do you want to hear it again? Let's hear it one more time. So how late in the third trimester? Like I was saying earlier in the show, like I, I don't really get involved in this debate, you know. Um, but when I was listening to this the first time, I, I legitimately felt like like the, the demons circling in my soul and I felt like setting fire to the world when I heard this the first time. And and those aren't the kinds of like emotions that I that I experience when listening to politicians make political points ever ever never. But it was like demons screaming out into the abyss is the way I felt. That's the best way I can describe it. <clears throat> and again, I'm not somebody that really attacks this issue at all. Mister, would you be able to to do that? You know, it's very unfortunate that our physicians, uh, witnesses, were not able to attend today to speak specifically. No, no I'm talking that. about your bill. How, yeah, how, late, I mean, how late in the third trimester could a, a physician perform an abortion if he indicated it would impair the mental evil. health of the, pure, of the woman? Pure, dripping evil. Health. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm um, talking about the mental health. So, I mean, 
through the third trimester. The third trimester goes all the way up to 40 weeks. Okay, but to the end of the third trimester. Yep, I don't think we have a limit in the bill. So... It's the um, arrogance, the hubris, the entitlement. Look at the entitlement. Where it's obvious that a woman is about to give birth. She has physical signs of, um, that she is about to she give birth. She knows she's in trouble, this woman. Would that still be a point at which she could request an abortion if she was so certified? She's dilating. Uh, Mr. Chairman, that would be a you <laughs> know nice a try. decision. That nice try, the darling. No, 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 no. I understand that. I'm asking. Ah, oh, do you know what? I almost kind of feel sorry for her. She obviously didn't write the bill. Somebody else wrote the bill. She's just there to defend it, and she might believe in the bill, but she's obviously not talented enough to skirt around it. And when she was hit with that direct question, she. She flailed. She had no option, and now she's now she's famous. She's a low-level politician from Virginia, and she's world famous. And she's now the like the face of evil, basically. But hey, <clears throat> if you're gonna swim in the ocean, um, don't be surprised when sharks bite you on the ass, darling. No sympathy whatsoever. No remorse. May, may people who support this kind of stuff suffer through all eternity. Genuinely. Genuinely suffer. <clears throat> and I, I, I don't care if I'm down there suffering them, suffering with them for other reasons. If, if I get sent, you know, to the same place that these people are at, I will extract one, but one small pleasure for the rest of eternity knowing that they're suffering as much as I am and it'll be worth it hideous stuff Clean Jack says I have nothing to contribute but my presence well thank you for contributing (laughs) your presence is welcome sir Amber sent this one through Acacia Cortez on Schultz why are billionaires who want to run for president never to told to work earlier. their way up? See, this is why she's popular. Let me go back to what I said earlier. This is why she's, uh, she's good. Nobody wants to see Donald Trump removed from office more than me. If I decide to run for president as an independent, I will believe and have the conviction and the courage to believe that I can win. I can't answer that question. Yeah, you know what? We're on the abortion thing. I, I mentioned it last week. If anybody knows the name of the girl who who was a you know an attempted abortion gone wrong and now she gives speeches you know the one I'm talking about This is While there is still much to be done in the pro-life this is movement, something different. there is also a lot of good worth highlighting. On each episode, we're going to spotlight a person, a group, or a movement building up the culture of life. This first installment of our pro-life focus is powerful. So often, when pro-lifers talk about ending abortion, we say we need to be a voice for the voiceless. 
That, however, does not apply in this case. Today, we introduce you to a woman who survived an abortion attempt and is speaking for herself in a bold way. Weighing less than three pounds, Melissa Odin was born beating the odds. She is a survivor of a failed saline infusion Fuck. abortion. God did have a plan. It's a procedure that injects a toxic salt solution into the amniotic fluid surrounding a preborn child. Cared for by NICU nurses at first, baby Melissa was soon adopted into a loving home. Now, Odin is a wife and mother, a Catholic convert, and a pro-life advocate, with speeches spanning from pregnancy centers to Capitol Hill. I'm here today to share my story to not only highlight the horror of abortion taking place at Planned Parenthood, but to give a voice to other survivors like me. It's a journey detailed in her new memoir, You Carried Me, released this month. Melissa recounts a series of tough truths, including when she, as a teenager, learned about the abortion attempt on her life. To be 14 years old, it, it absolutely devastated my life. And I think like so many young people, right, I, I didn't want anybody else to know how much I was hurting. So Melissa turned to what she called her unholy trinity of coping mechanisms, bulimia, alcohol, and sex. People often ask me, you know, how did you ever come out of that? And I always say it really wasn't me. It wasn't. It was the grace of God that saved me. And I had to be willing to wake up and every day say, you know what, I'm not going to do that today, right? The focus of the memoir continues onto Melissa's search for her birth mother as she wonders whose blood runs through my veins. She discovers her birth mother was a 19-year-old college student. Gee, that's got to be a tough day at the office, doesn't it? Hey, mum, guess who? <laughs> hey, you, I've got the, I've got the, it's the darndest thing. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. That's heavy. That is heavy. Talk about a sick burn. Uh, the sick burn would be, you know, an attempted abortion meeting your, <laughs> your aborting mother. Holy cow. Imagine that. Jesus, what do you what do you even say to this person? <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't even know what we even say. <laughs> Guess who? <laughs> Here's Johnny. <laughs> Fucking hell! Pressured to get an abortion. She thought Melissa had been dead for over 30 years. Odin's perspective throughout the journey is strikingly compassionate. Tell us how you came to have that approach. It's a response that I think has deepened over time. Uh, I've always loved her, but my love for her deepens year after year. Uh, and not just because the circumstances of her life and mine are, are now different, right? I know the truth about how she was forced into that abortion. But I think... The older I get, the, the more I learn how to love people and respect them for who they are. And I think motherhood has been a bond. See, this is going to sound incredibly sexist to the wrong person. I'm sure everybody in this room, it won't sound that way to you, but I'm going to put it out there anyway. For me, abortion is less about um, the right to do what you want with your own body and more about the right to not live with the consequences of your own actions. 
nobody forced you to have um, unless it's a case of rape. If it's a case of rape, then I I, I tend to think I'm probably like a raging liberal in that regard. I tend to think, well, that's a grey area. You know, I wouldn't want a rape baby running running around reminding me of rape every day either. So I, I tend to think, well, you know, I kind of understand their perspective. But, um, you know, it's it's they're escaping the responsibility of their actions. Nobody forced them to have sex. And people say, oh, well, I wore a condom and the condom doesn't work. And it's like, yes, but everybody knows that condoms don't always work. So it's still a risk. You're still you're still taking a risk by jumping on that dick, right? And if you do that knowingly, and if you do that with consent, then what you're doing with an abortion is avoiding the consequences of that action, the responsibilities that come with that action. And people say, oh, that's sexist. I'm like, well, it's reality though. Oh, I can't have a kid. I don't have enough money and blah, 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 blah. It's, that's the reality of the situation. You, 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 it's, it's, you, you're not like, it's not a right to choose what you do with your own body. It's a right to avoid the consequences of your actions. You had sex and you don't want to deal with it. You engaged in the act of reproduction and you can't deal with it. People say that's heartless, that's misogynistic. <laughs> it's true. It's true. If you could deal with it, you wouldn't be getting the abortion. Yes, <laughs> James R. Who well, I'm on uh, Trust and Verify Sunday night says new lap uh, lap new rap lyrics by Boogie. <laughs> You're still taking a risk jumping on that dick. Good beat. I like it. Maybe we can do a bit of House of Pain stuff. No, wait, I'm white. I can't be a rapper. Remember, the language that politicians use, only black people can be rappers now. Sorry. Sorry. I don't make the rules, bro. I don't make the rules. That she and I can really connect uh, on that level. And um, it's a love. Kimmy says, the truth is hard. And I'm going to add, wink, wink. (laughs) Sorry. In in time, in, when when we get to these very powerful moments and like very uh, deep moments, I do have a tendency to make really bad jokes. That's just my nature. That's that's how I deal with things. Is by you know being obscene and making inappropriate jokes at the worst possible time. Story, right? It's it's a love story that that God wrote, and man attempted to to rewrite that whole story. And God God's story wins in the end. Now, you had finished this book, you had finished your memoir, you were done, and then something happened. And then you met your birth Ladies. for the first time. Tell us about that. Whew. That's where I have to take a deep breath. It's an amazing story. After everything I've gone this through is an in amazing my life story. And, and my healing from it, uh, my tears are not tears of pain. My tears are t- just tears of incredible gratitude, right? I was not expecting to meet her in the course of the last few months. You know, we have spent years getting to know one another, build trust, um, uncover secrets together. And so we met face to face for this first time early this summer. And uh, I guess a so- short version of that would be it was everything I ever could have expected and, and more. To know that she spent over 30 years of her life believing that I had died at the hospital 
you know, how she suffered from immense regret and, and guilt. That's the other thing too. We know, <clears throat> again, this is going to sound harsh, but it's not intended to sound harsh, but maybe there, for those who would doubt uh, universal justice, say, you know how some people tout things like, well, these, these rights have been given, us, given to us, these are rights given to us by God, right? You know, these are inalienable rights. <clears throat> what about inalienable justice? And some might say, well, you know, people don't go into abortion lightly, you know, and we know the statistics that, you know, people suffer immense depression, immense regret, oftentimes for the rest of their lives after aborting due to lifestyle choice, say. And some people come out and say, well, we need to do more for these people. They need programs. They need help. And I'm the kind of person that says, no, no, that's fair. That's fair. Like, you may have avoided one consequence of your actions, but you can't avoid all of them. So in avoiding the consequences of your actions the first time, you're going to create a new action. How are you going to avoid the consequence of that? And you know what? Maybe that's punishment enough. I don't know. I'm not the one to decide. I'm not the one to judge. But maybe it is. Maybe waking up every morning for the rest of your life with that sense of regret, with that sense of emptiness. Where a soul, a life force was snuffed out by your hand. Maybe that's enough. Maybe it doesn't have to be criminal. And, you know, truth be told, maybe that's what you deserve. Maybe. But I'm not the one to judge. I'm not the one to say that. You might be the one that has to live with it. But I'm not the one that has to say that you deserve it. But live with it you must, regardless of whether I want you to or not. Sergeant Schultz, ladies and gentlemen. Schumer blasts Trump's extraordinarily inappropriate intel bashing. Oh, okay. This will be fun. <laughs> this will be funny. What do we got? What, what's Trump done now? So he doubted Coates then. He doubts him now very publicly and publicly kind of demeaning him. When, when Coates actually speaks the truth, the president apparently goes on rants about it or rants about him in the morning. <laughs> Does that make any sense to you? No, uh, it makes no sense. Well, uh, this president, uh, although he appointed Dan Coates as uh, director of national intelligence, uh, is somebody who... Just a quick side question. Why the hell are we listening to these people? Just to, I'm just throwing that out there. Why are we listening to Leon Panetta, former White House chief of staff for the Clinton administration? Why the hell are we listening to these people? But listen, we will. If... Uh, he doesn't hear what he wants to hear from somebody. Well, like you, thanks for joining us. Adam. Cujo, uh, the good responsibility of, uh, of Dan Coates, and for that matter, the intelligence community, is to speak truth to power. What? That's why they're here. <laughs> yes! Yes! <laughs>
Wait, what, 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 what? Whoa. Pull that truck back. Back that truck up. Wait, wait. Is it is this guy seriously saying that the purpose of the intelligence apparatus is to speak truth to power? What the fuck is this guy talking about? I I I whoa. Are you are you are you seriously talking about the government departments that literally exist under a cover of secrecy for the benefit of everybody? Right? This is what you're talking about. Speaking truth to power. Right. Yes. Yeah. All, all those clandestine operations, right? Right, yeah, like the black funding, yeah, the dark money, yeah. That the the whole purpose of the intelligence community is to speak truth to power, like it's some kind of Aristotelian body, like just marching around a fucking, <laughs> they're marching around in some shop, like some marketplace in ancient Greece, asking politicians what justice means. That's that's the purpose of the intelligence community, right? No, it's not. 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 The purpose of the intelligence community is to find out information that other people can't find out and to do things that other people can't do in order to secure the well-being of the nation, whatever that nation is. That's that's generally the purpose of the intelligence community. If the intelligence community purpose has become uh, dislodging democratically elected presidents, then that's a problem. If the intelligence community's purpose has become, uh, say, leaking certain things to people at CNN so they can get on there and bash people for political reasons, then that's a problem. That's not what they're there to do. That's not their job. (laughs) Their job is to observe and, uh, would you say, you know, interact when needed for the fundamental purpose of defending, I, I'm not even an American, and I might get the quote wrong. I believe the quote is something along the lines of "against all enemies, foreign and domestic." Is that right? Is that is that is that is that how it works? Is that how it works? Something like that, right? No, no, not anymore. No, now the intelligence community's job is to speak truth to power. Yes, yep. What we what we want is, um. You know, the intelligence, like, I can't believe I'm seeing this shit. Once upon a time, the left knew this stuff. They knew this stuff. Like, fuck me dead. The the left has been bashing the CIA and the FBI for the better part of four decades. Now, all of a sudden, they love them. They're, they're, They're FBI and CIA fanboys now. Yeah, yeah. The whole job of the CIA is to speak truth to power. You ask these same people five years ago what the job of the CIA and the FBI is, and they'll say, to enslave people. Ah! <laughs> it's fucking insane. Sometimes you have to stand back and just look at what's going on here. Look at the balls. It's unreal. They've got to be objective. They've got to be nonpartisan. They've got to basically tell it as it is, whether that person likes to hear it or not. Uh, and obviously... When they speak the truth, as they did yesterday, uh, the president did not want... But, Leon, how do you know it's the truth? How do you know it's the truth, Leon? How do you know? I remember watching, was it Harry Reid saying, um, the FBI should be giving Donald Trump false intelligence briefings because he doesn't deserve to know what's really going on. Fuck him. (laughs) And all of these idiots on here on CNN were like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. It would be totally irresponsible to give the president accurate information. 
they should be lying to him at every opportunity so we can protect the world from him. Do you remember this stuff? I, I watched it, hours and hours of it. Expert after expert after expert coming out. Donald Trump can't be Donald Trump can't be given res- the responsibility of knowing what's really going on. We need to give him false. We need to lie to him. We need to present a certain picture to Donald Trump to make things simple for him because he's a simple turn. He's he's impulsive. He's aggressive, right? On and on and on and on and on. Now now they're just telling the truth. All that yes. That's what we know the CIA and the FBI for, ladies and gentlemen. They just, they've done it. They just tell the truth. They just love telling the truth all the time. Every single opportunity that the intelligence apparatus has to tell the truth to the American public, they fucking darn well do it, don't they? <laughs> They're basically Jesus. They are, they are Jesus in black overcoats with dark sunglasses. That's what the intelligence community is. They just, tell, they just love telling the truth want to hear it, uh, and as a result, got angry. Uh, but the reality is, if you're president of the United States, uh, it's much better if you appreciate the facts as they're presented, rather than trying to create your own view of what the world should be. So I, I think the best way that uh, you have to deal with this president wow. is for him to bear the consequences of his rejection of their information. Mm. Oh, yeah, he hasn't, he hasn't borne any consequences whatsoever. No. I mean, he's lost billions. Nymira, napping so I can survive tomorrow. Oh, thanks for sticking around. Uh, we did Trump allies think Ruth Bader uh, Ginsburg is hiding. Democrats unveiled new border security measure. Here's, an, here's another one. Border security plan that doesn't include money for Trump's wall, but everything's on the table except money for the wall. Yep. Why are there 17 different IC agencies, Wordsmider says? Um, short answer, compartmentalization. And it's, it's been a long-held belief in politics that you need to have all the government departments basically trying to outdo he- each other for efficiency so they do the best job possible. So you rank all of the government departments when it comes down to budgets and shit like that. And then, you know, people will go above and beyond in order to make the best possible case that their particular department needs more of a budget. It's competition, you know, competition theory in government departments. Basically, that's why you need 17. That's a short answer. Washington. The conference committee has uh, created to put together a border security package by February 15, held their first meeting hearing on Wednesday. Yes, productive meeting, I'm sure. I'm sure... (laughs) I'm sure all of these politicians who have been pissing about the edges over a border wall for the last four decades all of a sudden are going to come to some kind of fucking conclusion in the next three weeks. Yeah, I'm, that's going to happen. That's going to happen. I love, I've been reading people who are like, oh, well, well finally, something's being done. And I'm like, no, no, nothing's being done. The only thing that's being done is your believe, your ability to believe the bullshit that's being thrown at you and cover, you know, in terms of like, oh, something finally, these two parties are getting together. Something's being done. That's the ultimate dream of every politician is to make it appear as though they're doing something when they're not doing anything or doing something completely different. House Democrats on the bipartisan committee also unveiled their early proposal for what they want out of the negotiations. That's the best way to come into a negotiation. Tell everybody what you don't want. 
<laughs> the Democrats' proposal addresses a number of a number of areas regarding border security, but it does not include funding for any physical barrier along the U.S. border with Mexico, which President Donald Trump has repeatedly made clear is a necessity in order for him to sign any funding legislation. We went over this. We spoke about the sinkhole that was exposed, the tunnel under the wall of the bank. So, and they said, well, the tunnel, the tunnelers weren't able to breach the walls of the bank. I'm like, well, okay, obviously walls work then. So, you know, why, why do banks have walls? Let's just put the money on pallets and we'll have drones flying around. That'll stop people. That'll stop them. See, this is all semantic shit. Um, the Democrats are going to say, we went over this in the podcast, um, responding to the response. The Democrats are going to isolate and magnify every other possible, in a, in a, in a galaxy of uh, possibilities, they're going to say that all of, they're going to try and magnify all of these other possibilities. Like, oh, we want $2.7 million for this particular camera that sits on this particular thing. And we want $5 billion for this thing. But because the reason is you're just trying to say, you're trying to present to the public that your solution is so complex and it's such a wide array. It's so well thought through. And then, you know, the opposite of that is Donald Trump. He's such an idiot. He just wants a wall. And that's we know that that's not true. There's other things that go along with a wall, but they're trying to say, well, what about that? They, they, they will... Demo- Trust me, Democrats will now be, ha- they'll have researchers going through finding the most obscure things that the government could possibly fund and present it to the public as a potential quote unquote solution. But it's not a solution. The, the, the object here is to present as many variables as possible in order to say to the public, hey, we've really thought this through. We're really smart. We've got all of these measures. And over there, Donald Trump's just got a wall. And he's an idiot and he's obsessive and, you know, it's a vanity project, this wall. But what we really need is a complex merging of this department. We need millions here. We need this technology. We need this drone. It's garbage. It's all garbage. All of it. They know what they're doing and we know what they're doing. We know the point of what they're doing is because whenever somebody in the general public argues for a wall, they want one of their supporters to come back and fire off the talking points. Oh, we need four million for this. We need 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 this. You haven't thought this through. You're being simple. You're being stupid. You're just thinking about a wall. A wall isn't going to do anything. They'll just build a tunnel. You're such an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's the point. It's all geared toward moving public opinion. It's all geared. You know, I think, I think it was James today said, um, you know, was it James or was it someone else? I, was I think it was James said, you know, people say the government doesn't care about what I want. I think it was, maybe it was Bongino. I'm not sure. I can't remember. <clears throat> the government doesn't care about what I think. The government does care about what you think. That's all they care about. But that's all politicians care about is what you think. That's why they're constantly trying to manipulate you and put you into certain positions so you think what they think. Whether you're aware of it or not. That's the whole point. I'm probably going to butcher the quote, but it was something along the lines... It was Voltaire. You know, the French thinker. 
and he said something along the lines of uh, modern politics is an exercise in creating a series of hobgoblins in order to, you know, manipulate the public, all of which are imaginary. Something like that. Let me find it because I butchered it. Okay, looking, looking, looking. (laughs) I just found one by accident. So long as the people do not care to exercise their freedom, those who wish to tyrannise will do so. For tyrants are active and ardent and will devote themselves in the name of any number of gods, religious and otherwise, to put shackles upon sleeping men. Isn't that fantastic? The whole point of popular politics, I think he said. The whole point of Oh, it was H.L. Mencken. There you go. H.L. Mencken. H.L. Mencken, ladies and gentlemen, you'll be pleased to know, um, once had his testicles removed and replaced with goat's testes. As I learned from a book um, from... Uh, about a guy named Dr. John Brinkley, who was basically the godfather of modern American political campaigning. And, you know, he was a snake oil salesman back in the day. He um, invented a radio station because they banned him in America. So he went to Mexico and created the largest um, radio tower at the time, which he called the Border Buster. And he would um, send his radio signals into America. And then he ran for governor. I think of a particular state, he would uh, purposely show up late, and people he his people would hand out little American flags, and they would wave the flags while a band was playing, and then people would obviously walk around and take photos of this for the local paper, and they would say like he's pro-American and stuff. It was it's quite a wild read. Um, I believe it's called. Now I have to find the book for you. I've recommended a book. just got sidetracked but one of he made his money by putting goats testes in males who uh for like a virility thing and hl menken was one of his clients the political satirist and commentator there you go uh the book's called charlatan and it's by a guy named pope brock i'll put it up on screen for you it's it's really a fantastic read. Okay. Oh, let me put it up here then. Okay, there's the book. Charlatan. By Pope Brock, America's most dangerous huckster, the man who pursued him, and the age of the flimflam. It's an utterly fantastic book, one of the best things I've ever read. And yeah, like I said, basically the godfather of American pop, uh, modern American uh, campaigning. Uh, here's that H.L. Mencken quote, by the way. 
The whole aim of practical politics is to keep the populace alarmed and hence clamorous to be led to safety by menacing it with an endless series of gob- uh, hobgoblins, all of them imaginary. There you go. Democrats have been coy about whether they would be willing to stomach any wall funding after the shutdown ended last week, but Rep New York, uh, Rep from New York, Nita Lowey, 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 <clears throat> who is serving as the chair of the conference committee in the House, said after the hearing that everything's on the table except the border wall funding. Here's Roger Stone. Let's hear from Roger. I haven't heard from Roger for I a day. I suspect anybody who gets the unvarnished national security uh, briefings about everything that's going on around the world has to be horrified at the magnitude of the challenges that we face and the seriousness of the situation the country's in. Um, I think it has made him more focused and more determined. But I don't think anybody could be unaffected. (laughs) Do you think Oliver Oliver Stone orchestrated the lock-him-up crowd at his presser? No, but I will say... um, I thought that the playing of the Russian anthem at his press conference with the Russian flags waving, I thought that was fantastic memeing by the left. I have to say, I tipped my hat. I was like, oh, that's special. That's good. Like to hear the anthem, the Russian anthem playing and stuff and Roger Stone's trying to give a speech. I thought they're learning. They're, they're learning how to be funny. Which obviously is classified and not, and nobody beyond those who are entitled under the government have. Um, but I think he's actually fundamentally the same person. And I think he's never going to change. This is the Trump we elected. Coy. So I'm not being he's coy. not going to give up his Twitter feed. He's not going to give up his cell phone. He's not going to stop punching back when he feels he's been unfairly punched. That's his nature. Uh, on the other hand, as long as he's making progress on the big issues, I don't think the voters will really care. Tend to agree. Tend to agree, Rog. Well, we had fun. It's another free-for-all done and dusted, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. The last post in that Twitter Twitter feed was what time? Uh, it was about five hours ago, believe it or not. Believe it or not. <laughs> You're missing how brilliant Roger really is. No, no, we, we spoke about Roger Stone on Trust and Verify. Um, he's got skills, baby. He's got skills. Camaro Jeff. Scott from West Texas. Tracy and AK. The owner and CEO of TAVshow.com, ladies and gentlemen, James R., who I will be joining live on Sunday night. Hope you can join us then. No. <laughs> Sin-soaked word smiter. Twitter Inquisition, a.k.a. GDM. Thanks for the Jesuit comment. <laughs> Glee Jack, Ben K. Veritas, Mary, J-Dub, Ducks Regionus. Who am I missing here? The Iceman, Rusty, thanks for joining us. Marine Mum, Jennifer Briggs, the Cherry Popper. Kimmy Jong-un, General Eaton, Denise, Lynn Brooks. Anybody else I might have missed? Um, I'll I'll be back doing the podcast next week. I thought... Well, I'll be honest. I had a pretty crazy week with work and sleep. I wasn't getting any sleep. I was working some ridiculousness. So 
I didn't do a podcast, but I thought, well, I did a five and a half hour podcast last week, so that should be plenty for people to chew over for a week. <laughs> and then I thought, well, I'll just do a normal one today. And we're coming up on five hours now. So <laughs> sick burn, sick burn, burn myself. I burn myself. But we'll be back doing the daily podcast next week. Thanks to everyone who uh, shares it, subscribes, downloads. I appreciate you. Thanks to everyone on Patreon who supports. If you want to, if you would like to become a supporter, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. If you'd like to be a subscriber of the show, hit the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, as always, if you would like to hurl insults or comments at me, Crystal Anon, thanks for joining us. If you would like to do that, please head over to Twitter. Follow me at Boogie Bumper. Until next time, guys, stay calm, stay rational. God bless. And we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Follow Q. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Jack just said Obama is Irish as fuck. Do you want to say that one more time? <laughs> <laughs> okay. One more. Encore. For anyone that might have missed it. Because we were talking about how it's a dog whistle to racism if you pronounce Barack Obama's full name. Let's do it one more time. Just take us out. <laughs> Embrace it. Remember, join us next week for Wine in Pringles Cans. He took his chance, 
Now let's see Baron. The free for all next week. Bring your wine and a Pringles can. We're doing it. There's no one as Irish as Barack Obama. From Kerry and Cork to Old Donegal. Let's hear it for Barack from Old Donegal. From the lakes of Killarney to Old Connemara. There's no one as Irish as Barack Obama. JDM, thanks for joining us. <laughs> of course I mean it. We are absolutely doing cheap wine for Pringles cans next week. The hockey month's gone, and so is McCain. They're cheering in Texas, and Boris okay. In Monaco Town, the greatest of drama for our famous president, Barack Obama. There's no one as Irish as Barack Obama. The great Stephen Neal, a great man of God. He proved that Barack was from the outside. They came by bus, they came by car. Celebrate Barack in Ollie Hayes Bar. Watch that pitch change. There's no one as Irish as Barack Obama. O'Leary, O'Reilly, O'Hare and O'Hara. There's no one as Irish as Barack Obama. <laughs> See you next week, guys. God bless.